This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Sand By Me, a <laughs> podcast from the boys at Overdue about Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And I really did S- not... Sandrew. San Shoot. I... <laughs> dang it. Ah, oh, dang. I didn't think about that before just now. <laughs> really? Ah, oh, dang. Just like I didn't really think about what the hook for these intros was going to be. We're going to figure it out as we go. Like, we haven't done a graphic novel for one of these before. It's oh, We're breaking a bunch of new ground. Could breaking I have a bunch done of new ground. a cool, like, visual thing? I just think we tell people we're building this podcast upon the sand, and they'll know that if it goes bad, it's because of that. Like oh, the, the sure. Story. That's good. Mm-hmm. So this is a long-read project that we uh, we embark on these once or twice a year, and we work our way installment by installment through uh some oeuvre mm-hmm. that seems to warrant it and it's a it's a way for us to tackle stuff that would be t- either too big for an episode or would result in like a two-hour episode which we don't really want to do yeah i mean yeah. what are we a tech podcast can't do can't be out here doing two and a half hour podcasts all the time i listen to a lot of two-hour podcasts i can't make a lot of two-hour podcasts no I don't, is... I don't have it in me i don't know what they talk about that whole time i, I don't know man it's probably sand um mm-hmm. it's just like sand that was i i could have just done the days of our lives opening ah, oh you know we could use it uh, as our theme song we could use sandstorm <laughs> Uh, coming to episode two, our guest Derude. Um, <laughs> so, Andrew, I will. So, th- this podcast and the, t- the series would not exist without our Patreon supporters. So, thank you to them. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew, just as important as Neil Gaiman, yeah, to us, to this enterprise in particular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I think, suggested this one. Um, would you like to tell me why, or would you like to tell? Would you like me to tell you about which sand men I'm familiar with first? You can choose. Um, I can. So I we've circled this because we've done yeah. game in like what three times, three or four times maybe for the podcast. Because what we did House at the End of the Lane, Lane. we did Coraline, we did Good Omens. So three, so three. I'm not sure if we did more because we've done so I don't many think I, never, I think we never got around to doing American Gods, even though mm-hmm. people have asked us, and I think people have thought we did it because we did good omens. Yeah, that, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but this is this. If you were going to pick a thing that Neil Gaiman that like launched him to the fame that he currently enjoys, it's probably this. It was just. We've like some graphic novels. I think we've done well. Like I think our Watchmen episode was pretty mm-hmm. good. I think our From Hell episode was pretty good. And then others we've struggled a little bit. Like when we did uh, Preacher or when we did Why the Why the Last Man? Yeah, Why the Last Man? You know, uh, I never found out was... why. <laughs> no, 
because either it was like too big a thing to read the, the whole, whole thing, thing yeah. for one episode or we had to cover a whole thing inside the confines of one episode. I didn't really I want to do that with this one. And yeah. then like I I encounter I met this work in high school, <laughs> read it, loved it. What class? Uh it wasn't it wasn't for class, Craig. It wasn't. It was just like extracurricular cool guy in the band room turned me on to this. It was like this guy gave me like Sandman and Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. I remember Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. Memories of... Yeah, 15-year-old me was off to the races. I had a fun weekend where I played a lot of Goldeneye and my friend said, have you read this cool comic? And I... Oh, boy. Um, So, yeah. Okay, so you wanted to come back to this. I wanted to come back to it because I hadn't read it in a long time. I wanted a an opportunity to buy a nice box set that I could justify as a business expense. Yeah, so, like here here we are. <laughs> okay, that's cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have never read this before. Okay, I didn't know that it was basically the thing that launched Neil Gaiman. And if we talked about that on our Good Omens episode, I forgot. Okay. Um, so I had no idea where it fell in his career arc. Um, here are the sand men that I know. I know, uh, enter Sandman, the uh-huh. song by Metallica. Mm-hmm. I know there was a wrestler named Sandman in ECW. He uh-huh. used a kendo stick, I mm-hmm. think. Um, there was th- a character named Mr. Sandman in the video game Punch Out and Super Punch Out. Yes, I remember who, him. Some who, by some wild twist of fate manages to be one of the less racist characters from the punch out franchise Um, and i know sandman from uh spider-man 3 a better movie than you remember but it had too many villains Uh um played by thomas hayden church fresh off the movie sideways (laughs) (laughs) uh but no i am not familiar with this sandman um and we embarking on this uh, read for the show. I've not watched the new Netflix series. I'm kind of excited to watch it after we get through this, and maybe season two will be in production by the time we finish. Mm-hmm. I know they're doing a season two. People are excited. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, yeah. The season season one of that show covers basically the first two like Trade. volumes yeah. of the of Sandman as it's published now. So if you are interested in the adaptation, but don't want to spoil it or you want to read the the books first you really only need to do the first two and and that's all they're gonna really spoil for you cool so we're gonna over the course of this project we are going to read 10 sandman trade paperbacks mm-hmm. in order mm-hmm. um which is typically how they one to are. ten baby <laughs> there, there are other publication collections that we will not be like we're not doing the annotated version we're not doing the omnibus version we're not we didn't buy 75 different issues of the comic and just laid them on our floor Mm -hmm. um but this is kind of especially as it has been cemented as a like a graphic novel on top of being a monthly comic i i think this is going to be the good way to go this is going to be an interesting way to go people our age and younger especially like mid-30s We'll charitably say mid mid thirties and younger. Yeah, will who are who are reading this after it was running, which was what like eighty eight to to ninety six, eighty nine to ninety six, eighty nine yeah. to ninety six. 
they will have primarily encountered this work in the form that we're reading it, yeah. which is not strictly in publication order, but it's mostly in publication order. Cool. All right. Like the, the original run was a mix of, I mean, it was all telling one big story, but it was broken up into like multi-issue plot arcs and then one-offs that would play a little bit more with like the style and, and dig more into minor characters there. Are, and, and those in this, in the trade paperback version, more of those have been collected into their own thing. And then the plot, the, you know, the plot arcs tend to sure. be their own thing. So yeah, we'll, we'll there's going to be a lot to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will, you know, it'll be fun. I think that, that we will cover as much as we can. What's interesting is that, you know, there will there's so much about this whole collection and it's this it looms large in comicdom and in comicdom at an era when the internet is being you know contributed to and built and fandoms are happening i think we will miss things i just feel a little bit of anxiety about knowing that we will miss things and so i'm naming it so that i can let it go okay yeah i mean i we've read it's we have missed things, and even if people have gotten upset with us, we are still we're still standing here today. And I think you're right by breaking it up into ten episodes, we'll miss less. Hopefully, or we'll at least have an opportunity to course correct if we are like chronically <laughs> under noticing something that people sure. think needs to be appreciated. So yeah, sure. I, I think we're gonna be okay. We're gonna I be think okay. okay. Um, so let's do a couple quick setup things here. Neil Gaiman's bibliography. He uh, publishes a bunch of short fiction in the 80s. He's working as a journalist in the 80s. He's reviewing books. He wrote a book on Duran Duran. Uh, oh, that's the most 80s thing I've ever heard, <laughs> is Neil Gaiman writing a Duran Duran book. Yeah, great. <laughs> I I love that fact every time I hear it. It's called Gas... No, it's not called Ghastly Beyond Belief. That's a different book. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. What's it actually called? Uh, I think it's just... I don't know. It's just... In my notes, it just says a biography of the band Duran Duran. Huh, okay. Ghastly Beyond Belief is a book of quotations. <laughs> Great. All right. Anyway. What else got? Uh, and then he ended his journalism career in 1987. He had started working in comics by then as well. He was working with Alan Moore. Uh, he did some stuff on Miracle Man. He wrote three graphic novels with Dave McKean, who does all the cover art for the various Sandman issues. Uh, and then he was hired by DC in 1987, working on Black Orchid. And around that time is when he is approached by Karen Berger at DC, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who's like, hey, we got this character from the 70s called the Sandman. It's not the 70s. It's like the 40s. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, oh. old. it's an old one. Oh, okay. Um, and we want a new one. A, but just a whole different one. Could you do that, please? Mm -hmm. And he's like, I guess so. <laughs> and that's kind of what brings this to bear. I don't know. Like, he, well, you know, I, I think I think Gaiman had been had had pitched a few things with established DC characters, sure. but they didn't they didn't bite for yeah. whatever reason. And then this technically is an established character. We'll talk about where this exists in. DC continuity, which is relevant mostly for this volume and and not for subsequent ones so much. The one the one we've read is number one, uh, Preludes and Nocturnes. I don't yeah. know if we've actually said that name yet. We have not. No. Okay. Um, 
But yeah, the the original Sandman is like a guy, this guy Wesley Dodds, who's running around in like a, a World War II gas mask. Okay, like making like shooting sleeping gas at people and making them go to sleep. You know, comics are weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that's that's kind of like what brings him to making it. He writes an eight issue outline. They put their team together. Um, a lot of people are listed as, you know, they have credits on this, right? We have, uh, as I said, Dave McKean does the covers. Uh, Todd Klein does the lettering. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot. Like, this is this is his claim to fame uh, in Todd Klein's career. Like, he had started mm-hmm. working with DC in the 70s, and then he had done Swamp... Th- he, did, he did Swamp Thing. He did Batman Year One. But, like, the style of lettering in this series and the style of the dialogue boxes... Um, has gotten him a lot of acclaim, and it certainly like creates the whole tone of the thing. Well, and he has been one of the few constants. Like there are a lot yeah, of yeah. Uh, artists involved in the creation of all the Sandman stuff across time. Not just the original run of it, but also the like subsequent sequel and prequel that that all happened. Like he was the letterer on on all of them, and he's he's been there kind of the whole time. Yeah. Um. The people who are probably most important to talk about here at the outset are um, so Karen Berger, who you mentioned. Yep. Um. She, uh, was a she. So her big thing is that in 1993 she founded this uh, label, this DC imprint called uh, Vertigo. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And she ran it, and this is this gets into some of the like comics context that you asked me to get into. Yeah. So uh, Sandman is one of a few works. I think you'd probably look at like Watchmen. Um, there is Batman year one, which is one written by Frank Miller, I think. And then even uh, mouse, the art Spiegelman book mm-hmm. that we did a little while ago. Uh, these all sort of kick off a modern age of comics when I, and I find I define modern age in contrast to like the bronze and silver and, and golden ages, which that, I definitely know all of the years to. And I, I appreciate you using the correct terminology. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so understand that those breaks are not always clean, but like the, this modern age of comics is defined by uh, like darker and more mature stories. It's defined by, a move away from this like Hayes code esque yeah uh, sure comics code authority standard that was sort of adopted by the comics industry in response to moral panic stuff to avoid yeah. regulation by Congress. Um, it it is part of uh, like an anti hero wave, um, and it it continues to this to this day basically. But yeah. Um, a lot of the other thing that's happening in this era is that a lot of individual uh, writers and, and artists are becoming more recognized like individually. And it's leading to a rise in like independent comics publishers. And so the big, like the big, big boys uh, like Marvel and DC do eventually start uh, developing. Like they, they launch their own imprints for more mature adult stuff, which also just happened to have a mix of, like, for for DC, it has a, a Vertigo had a mix of like canon DC universe stuff, and then also uh, like creator owned stuff. Okay, that, sure. So like DC could have its fingerprints on something like Sandman, which did switch to Vertigo from DC in '93 when it launched. Um, 
without, you know, scaring off auteurs who wanted a little bit more creative control or wanted to retain the rights to their, their characters, uh, stuff like that. I think Marvel's imprint that started a little bit later is icon i think it started in that 2004 right. it's a similar similar so vertigo thing. is also now black label which sounds yeah like it ended in 20 like burger left in 2013 and then it like coasted downhill after that and then yes re- relaunched as, as black label yeah it goes down smooth and I, I don't know if they have like a red label also like for, <laughs> johnny walker's batman more expensive yeah, I don't know. We, I don't know the order the in which order the Johnny the Walkers go. <laughs> it should be the same order as like karate belts. I think that would make it easier. So black label should be the best one. Or white could, label is the is the the bottom, know, bottom shelf. shelf one. Or and it could be all like the other colors in between. Item rarity, right? Like purple whiskey is the best. Right, that's the epic whiskey. Epic. Or orange whiskey <laughs> is the legendary drop, and then. <laughs> Can you imagine a commercial for Johnny Walker's Epic Whiskey? I lose my mind. It'd be good. It'd be good. Uh, okay, so you, Karen Berger is important. Who else do we need to know other than Neil Gaiman? I mentioned uh, a few other folks, but go ahead. So Sam Keith was the yeah. penciler in these initially. He um, he leaves after like four or five issues yes. just because uh, Gaiman talks a little bit in an afterword to, to this volume about mm-hmm. That like just none of them had done a weekly, not weekly, none of them had done like a regularly published comic series like this before. And there were just, you know, I I think amicable splits, but people who just had like trouble working with each other sometimes. But the I think the biggest one is probably Mike Dringenberg, who was an artist who designed a lot of the characters in these first books. Like he didn't work uh, on the entire series, but he is like one of the few names credited in every single issue. Yeah. And he, did, even though you have a lot of artists who who work on this over time, the basic character designs that everybody's like circling around and, and reinterpreting are are his for yeah. for a lot of them. So yeah, yeah I found a he, he and he and Karen Berger are big constants. I, I know. I'm glad we talked about the letterer. Yep. Uh, uh, that's Todd yeah. Klein. Todd um, Klein, yes. Uh, Robbie Bush, who is unfortunately no longer with us. He was pretty young. Um, he was the original colorist, which I mentioned because maybe not this episode, Andrew, but maybe on a future episode, we can talk about the like recoloring stuff that Daniel yeah. Bozzo did. Yeah, I did. I pulled some stuff on that, but we do have so much other yeah. context yeah. to get in, in through in this episode that yeah, we can probably hold it. We'll but. come back to that. Uh, Malcolm Jones Just the in, third. In the, in the oh, like late aughts, it got recolored for a for a reissue and it's been those have been the colors that have been yeah. used since yeah. so yes uh, malcolm jones III did the inking um he also worked on something called the question uh and yeah i did find a quote from sam keith about like leaving um is he, it the Jimi hendrix one no i don't think so he said the gaiman has a quote in here that where he says uh keith says apparently that he felt like Jimi hendrix in the beatles he was just in the wrong band that's very kind to himself i love that quote i love that <laughs> yes I, I you're the beatles but i'm Jimi hendrix <laughs> Uh, he was he was actually much more humble in a digital spy interview in 2010 
Um, he said, Neil had a definite direction in mind, and my creations were at odds with that universe. Took me time to realize they weren't bad guys. They, they just needed someone who fit better. Um, of Dringenberg, he said, I don't think I was a very strong illustri- illustrator at that time. Uh, Mike Dringenberg clearly was a superior illustrator as shown by the death issue, which we'll talk about today, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I knew we should swap penciling, penciling and inking duties. Uh, and then he talks about you know getting credit for initial Morpheus designs. Um, and he says, I was very embarrassed by my drawing skills at the time, and, and my issues are a very public way to be reminded of that. Sorry, Sam Keith. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's a situation that easily could be could have broken bad, and he's he could be someone who's bitter forever. But uh, he worked on some stuff with Alan Grant and Matt Wagner. Uh, and he created the Max for Image Comics and created Zero Girl. So he went on to do stuff. He's fine. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know how, you know, I'd probably be unpleasantly surprised. I'm, I was going to say, I hope that he still gets some kind of a cut of the stuff when it gets endlessly oh, reissued so. and adapted. So. But you know what? I bet he does. Oh, man. <laughs> it's, you know, it's almost like the whole uh, structure of like corporate media yep. companies is is made to give people who make stuff as little money as they re- as they possibly can <laughs> yeah it's almost like that you know yeah it's almost um, like that so let's talk about this first issue preludes and nocturnes andrew so you want you want to take the preludes and i'll take the nocturnes yeah okay, great. You split these <laughs> uh two piano players talking to each other um mm-hmm. let me just do like a top level summary all right and then we, c- we can dive in <laughs> right so this was mm-hmm. um you- what Nothing. Nothing. Um, This was collected when it was first issued as a as a like a trade paper back in 1991. Uh, Came out in hardback in 1995. It's the first eight issues of Sandman, um, which is like seven, and then kind of an epilogue issue. And we'll talk about a lot of the cameos and things that happen in it. Uh, But I did just want to do like a top level plot summary in case we miss stuff or do things out of order. So. According to this book, in the eight Mm -hmm. issues that are in this book, Mm -hmm. in 1916, a magician named Roderick Burgess attempts to summon death and instead traps death's brother, Dream, who is Morpheus. Mm -hmm. Uh, He keeps Dream locked up. There's repercussions for the world of that. And then 70 years later, he's dead and his son uh, allows Dream to get out and and Dream punishes him. And doesn't allow so much as... He creates a situation in which it is likely <laughs> yeah. to occur. <laughs> yes, by accident. It's, yeah. an, it's not a it's not a thing you did on purpose. No, fair enough, fair enough. Um and then Dream is like, "Oh man, my whole kingdom fell into ruin while I was gone. I need to embark on a three-stage fetch quest to regain my powers <laughs> um with three items. I needed uh, a I need my sand, I need mm-hmm. my mask, and I need mm-hmm. my ruby." Mhm. Um, he's gonna meet our friend from other comics, John Constantine, when he goes to get his sand. He's gonna go to hell and meet a character I did not realize was from other comics, as well uh-huh. as some other people, so that he can get <laughs> his mask. And then he's also gonna meet another guy from other comics that I didn't know when he goes to go get his ruby, mm-hmm. um, because that guy, John D, is using it to torment people, so he has to fight him. And then in the last uh, issue, he hangs out with his sister, um, and then, you know, I presume kind of becomes, gets ready to be the character that is going to be in the rest of the series. Yes, much like a 
a video game, you mentioned the the fetch quest yeah. element to these three. The epilogue issue is Dream unlocking all the post game content <laughs> so he can continue <laughs> playing after he's finished the main storyline. That's not bad. That's not bad. Um, so where do you want to start, Andrew? I, I thought it was kind of important to do that up top. And yeah. then we can kind of pick and choose where we want to spend our time. It's yeah, like this having having read all the all the books uh back in high school and then again recently, um, this one is it's a little bit of a weird one, and Gaiman himself talks about that a little bit in the in the afterward. Um he says, rereading these stories today, I must confess, I find many of them awkward and ungainly, although even the clumsiest of them has something, a phrase perhaps, or an idea, or an image I'm still proud of. But there were the story starts and the seeds of much that has come after, and much that is still to come were sown in the tales in this book. Um, so yeah, it is like, th- there are things that define this volume as a volume of Sandman that we can dive into. We can talk about all the DC con- continuity stuff, which yeah. is... Which Weird. is a big element of this and a little strange, but you know, and it's it's weird to think of the Sandman being not an institution, but if it's just one of many DC comics, yeah, like of course they're gonna just like put the Scarecrow in there for well, no reason. There's a shot where it's I was I was very struck. There's a panel, I guess, in the second issue in Perfect Hosts where. Um, just Batman and Robin are there, yeah. In like an in like a vision that mm-hmm. a witch is showing to Morpheus, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't, I wasn't ready for that when you that weren't happened. ready to see the Batman in this. I literally had no idea that I was going to see the Batman. Well, and and you are some you need you know you need warning. I'm like, don't just drop the Batman on a guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the Joker. I can't handle the Batman. <laughs> he needs. I need to know. Andrew, uh, swear so to me that you will tell me if the Batman is coming. <laughs> we can we can talk about this. We could talk about each of the. I think we need to talk about each of the three quests. Yep. I honestly don't. There, there's one thread in the, in the first, like the first one that's about all the like him being imprisoned. Sleep stuff. of and like sleep the, of the, the just the first the, issue. Uh, the effects that it has on the world. These have repercussions that that sort of come back in in later issues. But okay. A lot of it. A lot of the. The first one, especially, is just origin story, like kickoff of the of the comic stuff. And yeah, and I think the the detail you explained it in is pretty much as deep as we need to the, go on it. Unless the, you have like a specific thing you wanted to. The only two things that I would put in there that that I didn't mention already, and this is in the first issue, Sleep of the Just, is that, the, and this is a thing that doesn't really get paid off in this collection. So maybe you can tell me whether or not I need to be thinking about it is that like for the 70 ish years that he is imprisoned, mm-hmm. this like sleeping sickness takes over the world and not, it doesn't yeah. afflict everyone, but some people are like horribly afflicted by it. Yeah. Some people can't sleep. Some people can't wake up. Some people, yeah, it's, it, it, it's it, a it hits a lot of people differently, but it's clear that there's bad stuff going on. And so the way that that is told to you is through like, kind of it tracks maybe like three or four characters and what happens to them over the decades. Um, but in this collection, that's it. That like that's their lives and it goes yeah. away. Um, the, the main one to just just file away and remember for future okay. issues is a uh, Unity Kincaid who is the one who 
uh, falls asleep, can't wake up, but uh, does is they like put her in a nursing home. Oh yes, yes, and has it and has a baby. Oh, that she did that. She was not. She does not know about or remember because she was not awake for it. Yes, I do remember that. Okay, Um, cool. And then the other thing of that is just the way that he punished. That's the first time that when we see him do anything powerful, right? Is that he escapes from this prison because one of the guards falls asleep. So he like travels through their dream Mm -hmm. and then he punishes uh, the, the younger Burgess Mm -hmm. by condemning him to constant waking. And when you see those words, you're like, what does that mean? And then over several panels, it is clear that he is constantly waking up from nightmares to find himself in another nightmare. Yes. Which is horrible. (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, pretty sick pretty punishment, bad. though. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just really awful if you Morpheus think about it. Morpheus can go, like, really Old Testament when he when he has a mind, yep. too. Um, so then then in the second episode is kind of what, or the second issue is what teaches us about the fetch quest. Yeah. I, and then, like, it's just, I, I find that, was there anything else that you liked or found interesting about the, um, like, the, the way that dream and his absence like affects the world i thought it was the one thing that sort of overlaps between this and the dc continuity stuff is there's one just like three panel sequence that i didn't catch the first time i reread this but i did catch when i read this for the podcast is they work the old like 40s sandman into the continuity by saying that you know with the lord of dreams absent like the universe tries to force huh people into the into the role and that's why this dude wesley dodds like dresses up in oh that's gas cool mask no i had puts no idea to sleep yeah it's it's kind of neat like you don't hear a lot more about him through this but that's cool i like that i thought that was neat. i dig that mm-hmm. um no that was kind of that was kind of it and I, I was surprised i guess that like none of that secret society magician stuff factored into the rest of it though in retrospect i'm not surprised like in sequence i was like oh this is like setting up some stuff it's like no the lord of dreams just made those people go away or they're dead (laughs) um and then the sec yes imperfect host is the second issue yeah who who, we meet a lot of characters in this issue and and we're gonna we're gonna come back to most of them so can you just like run me who'd you who'd you like who'd you remember here I have here here are my notes here. All right. Imperfect hosts is where we get the first uh we get some Arkham Asylum stuff mm-hmm. briefly. I do, I do like that one panel where you see the scarecrow for the first time, but yep. he's just a guy, and so they do put like the scarecrow's like avatar picture up behind yep. him so yep. you know that he's the scarecrow. In case you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, he has a lot of fun with that kind of stuff. Um mm. but yeah, we hear about a guy named John D in Arkham. Mm-hmm. Who is what is his Doctor Destiny or some crap? Yeah, I think that's the yeah. Um, and I was like, I you know, I didn't know that until I was actually research because by the time I finished the issue, I was like, yeah, he's probably a character I just he's, don't know about. Yeah, I don't. He might be. I don't know. He's got he's got real like. Who's the skeleton guy from He Man? Oh, Skeletor. <laughs> yeah, he's just like got a hood and a skull for a face. Yeah, he's got he, big Skeletor vibes. Big Skeletor vibes. And mm-hmm. his like mom or someone is at the prison like pleading for him. Mm-hmm. And that's all we get. That kind of sets him up. Um, mm-hmm. We get Cain and Abel. From the Bible. From the literal Bible. 
It's going to be a crossover with our other long read project, Bible Thumpers, <laughs> that you won't let me do. And there's they sort of have a like um when that dog and Wiley e. Coyote hang out in Looney Tunes. <laughs> It is kind of like that. Yeah. When they just, when the, when the veneer falls away and they're just a couple of guys doing their jobs, you know? Kane is always there to kill Abel and then Abel comes back to life. Um, That's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is that also the issue? I did not have a note about this. Is that also the issue where Morpheus goes like back to his kingdom and there's like a servant there that he talks to? Uh, yeah, Lucian. Lucian is. Does he come back? Is that somebody that yes, we're going? Okay, he's a guy. cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, and then we meet the Hecates, the he- the witches from Macbeth, the Furies. Um, and the they're they're pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I want. I really like the art where we get like. So he's asking them like, "What happened to my stuff? I need my mm-hmm. stuff." Yeah, when you when you summon them, there's three of them, so you get the answers to three questions. A lot of threes. In and this. there's like a classic crone witch one, mm-hmm. and there is a hot one. Uh huh. And there's what? There's like one like a matronly one, I guess. Yeah, like, like a matronly middle aged one. Yes, and in every panel, their their positions and their faces change, but it's kind of clear that their voices are not changing yeah it's neat i like them a lot oh because there's a there's there's that one panel i don't see page numbers in this which i wish there were page numbers yeah yeah but there's that one where you're you know the camera as it were is behind morpheus's head yep yep and then the three uh furies are like arranged around him and the one on the left is eating a frog yeah it was like eating some little demon thing but it's a different face in each panel but they're each like starting and completing the same action yep, which is yep, kind of cool yep. but yeah like they're they are there are three beings and they're and they are one being and they are scary but morpheus gets his his uh fetch quest directions from them and then they kind of vanish so he needs to go find John. No, they, Const- not not before foreshadowing like a bad things to come. Yes, <laughs> he needs to go find John Constantine to get his sand. He needs to go find a demon to get his gas mask, and he needs to go find a guy that Batman and Robin or Batman and the Green Lantern uh, <laughs> beat up uh, to get his ruby. Because mm-hmm. that's they say like League of Justice. This is one of those things where I'm like I'm reading this book and I don't know if this is doing. I, I know now, but my first read, I was like, what about this is like kind of Watchmen-y where it's like playing with stuff. And it is playing with stuff, but it also is allowed to use continuity in a way that I didn't know it was. Yeah, because Watchmen is like a sort of parallel thing where there were comics, but then they got. Yeah. They like inspired a bunch of real life wackos. And there's a there's a like a divergence in the timeline at, at some point. This is just the dc comics universe in in a lot of ways it's just kind of again had no idea so that's kind of it's exciting but i also correct how important is that going to be moving forward andrew not super yeah like you you get it it appears in i mean even in this one honestly that it mostly takes the form of easter eggy stuff Yeah, yeah 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 but like very like you were you were I don't think ever again through the whole run of this you ever get a character just like casually name dropping the Joker like I don't I think it is 
and and all of this stuff it's worth noting was was like totally excised from the adaptation well that and, makes perfect sense yeah and like none of that is going to like it's it's these are not load-bearing story elements all this sure. like dcu stuff that's can in i here. ask and this doesn't have to be a huge conversation but in your experience with the show is it even playing in a superhero space at all or is it kind of eschewing that whole thing entirely yeah it's it's not really doing that at all okay. it's, it's it's both like it, it cuts out it not cuts it out or changes to. some yeah. details but it's for all that it's like a pretty faithful or like straightforward sure. adaptation i guess like it, it does a lot of let's adapt a 90s thing for today yeah which is and i'm not understand that by being like blithe about it i'm not like <laughs> criticizing it but somebody did sit down and ask like who can we make a person of color who can we make yeah a, be a woman or non-binary yep. instead of a man who can be gay and yep. like that's the and they i think they do that pretty well and there there are more issues of this in the in the future that we can talk about that cool that touch upon this stuff more explicitly but i don't like one nice thing about the sandman is, is that it doesn't need as much like massaging to adapt it for that kind of mm. thing as some mm-hmm. other works do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Anything w- that we missed in there in that no, issue? No, I don't think so. Okay. Morpheus is going to set off on his quest to get his three baubles. Yep. And the first one, I liked how Dream a Little Dream of Me for the most part is actually like a John Constantine comic uh-huh. where <laughs> Morpheus shows up and demands things of him. <laughs> it's just a, like it's just a fun thing that the that he's allowed to do. I kind of liked I and I like that about the first issue too is that it's not actually it is an origin story for Morpheus that is not told from his perspective. Like that's kind of yeah. fun. Yeah, and it's it's interesting when the when the books when they focus on him and when they decide to like zoom out and focus yep. on somebody else. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so I don't remember too much of the details of this issue. Mostly like the end is what stuck with me. So I don't know if there's anything in the Constantine stuff that you think is worth shouting out. No, not really. Like I'm not a big Constantine guy. Like I don't really know anything about him. There was Have a Keanu him? movie, right? Yeah, I maybe. I mean, there's a Keanu movie for all seasons of this. Listen, point. I'm glad that we, as a society, have really grown to appreciate him for what he has to offer. But I don't really remember anything about Constantine except he smokes cigarettes and the demons are involved. Yeah, so this guy smokes a lot of cigarettes, and he's British, and he's John Constantine. He's an exorcist, I think, mm-hmm. and he is a he is the tales to Morpheus the Sonic when wow. Morpheus shows up. Wow. <laughs> Uh, and his, an ex-girlfriend of his has wound up with the sand that Morpheus needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go to her apartment, and there's yeah, like they, a they skin, track her down. There's a skin monster. There's like a there's like a skin monster, or like just like living guts all over the walls. That yeah. And then there's like a weird dream creature that sees Morpheus and then immediately flees. Yes. And uh, and then he and then Morpheus like lets her die because she has been like using the sand almost like a really lethal drug. Yeah, because she keeps she keeps using it to have like really awesome dreams to the yeah. to the detriment of her like mind and and physical body. Yes. 
Um, the only thing I'll, I'll flag about the little like weird green dream creature who is like, hey, we didn't know you were still alive. Uh-huh. Sorry. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> that's going to be that's going to be a thing that that comes up a, a lot is is we we visit, you know, the the dreaming, the, the Morpheus's like dream kingdom. And yeah, it's in a state of, of disrepair. And there are a lot of like denizens of it who have left or vanished something? or who okay. yeah there's that whole scene with lucian who who runs down just like a list of of notable characters who have popped off mm-hmm. <laughs> to to do other things or just like their whereabouts are uh, are unknown and we're going to be encountering a lot of those I, like especially in the next one but it'll it'll be a thing to kind of keep a uh, keep tabs on as okay. we go okay yeah so then he has his sand back mm-hmm Got his sand. Good job. He needs to get his gas mask back, mm-hmm. and he has to go to hell to do that. Has to go to hell, and he meets literal Lucifer from hell, as well, <laughs> and as... also from the TV show Lucifer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like no, I, I know. Ugh, it's the con- it's the same continuity, which I was already with. Like maybe I should watch Lucifer. Like it, it, I think it would appeal to the. <laughs> part of my brain that is like you know what there are a lot of good tv shows but nothing beats bones yeah it appeals to that part of my brain <laughs> but this that it's a sandman property kind of makes me want to watch it a little bit more sure i guess i was also struck by so like before he even gets to lucifer and Azrael and beelzebub mm-hmm. one of whom is just two fly like eyes with a butt oh yeah <laughs> It's <laughs> awesome. Beelzebub. Um, Beelzebub. Yeah, he meets this guy named Etrigan, mm-hmm. who he is seems a real... like he should be a. Is he a guy? He's a I DC Comics a guy. guy, and so you... he looks like a DC Comics guy because you show up to hell and everybody is like <laughs> muted color palettes, and then this guy shows up looking like <laughs> looking like a mini boss character from a yeah. Square Enix game. It's unbelievable. He's like. Mm-hmm bright yellow green with like a red jumpsuit and boots and like a tattered cape and you're like oh you were created by jack kirby yeah. and you uh you what this is just from his wikipedia page he's a demon from hell who usually finds himself allied with the forces of good mainly because of the alliance between the heroic character of the dc universe and jason blood a human to whom etrigan is bound jason blood jason blood what was the what were the writers doing on the day where they named jason blood oh this this makes sense. He was inspired by a comic strip of Prince Valiant. You look at those colors and like the the starkness of the art. That is yeah, very sure. Prince Valiant. Yeah, Weird. he definitely. And I, I don't know. I we don't have access to the original colors, so I don't yeah. know how much he popped in the original versus how much he. Popped it's unreal. In this. But he absolutely like he is the only like blue and yellow in a sea of like red and brown. <laughs> that is an overall. That is a thing that I found remarkable in over the course of this run this reading i'm trying to like get my terminology together this Mm -hmm. book let's call Mm -hmm. it is that whenever they like it's something that graphic novels can do and it's something that this very surrealist graphic novel can do which is like show you imagery that does not belong in the visual vocabulary and have Mm -hmm. it still play like when there's Mm -hmm. like nightmares that include marilyn monroe's face or (laughs) you know shots of batman or this guy Mm -hmm. like it can get away with it because it's playing in this fantastical surreal zone sure 
Um, so he meets Lucifer, who is yes. played in the comics apparently by David Bowie. I'm making like <laughs> I, he does look like David Bowie. You're right. Uh, do you know who? Do you know who plays Lucifer in the TV show? David Bowie. <laughs> no, Gwendolyn Christie. Whoa, which is an amazing choice. That That's I an amazing choice. It was really great. Um, so he meets he meets Lucifer. He's like, "Well, you're the king of hell. Like, point me to the demon who has my helmet." And he's like, well, like, technically, I kind of run hell with these two other guys. <laughs> and maybe it's one of their minions who who has your helmet. And so it is, it's one of like Beelzebub's guys. And this is my, you had talked about, do you want to save the art discussion thing for a... No, hit me, with your, hit me with your fave art. Mine is towards the end of the book, so you can my do yours. Fa- yeah, so we're, we're going to try and pick like a favorite page or favorite character design, something about the art that we really like for each issue. My favorite art in this is the design of the demon Coranzon? Uh, Coranzon? Yeah. Who is the, the demon who has dreams helmet. He's like pink... And he has horns, and he has sunglasses, and he has two mouths. Yep. And he has chains, and he has fishnet stockings. Lots and of spikes. His whole thing is just so, like, so 80s, but also a demon. <laughs> yeah. He's and very I extra. Am, I'm obsessed with him. He's especially, really cool. Especially when Dream defeats him and gets his stuff back and he doesn't have his sunglasses anymore and he just looks like a sad boy with no sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> I I do really like I didn't know where this was going and I really found it fun. Okay. And what'd you ta- like about it? Well it taught me like what these books might be up to. Like it's not just superheroes punching each other, right? Like mm-hmm. um your favorite demon boy is like, hey, we're gonna do a battle of wits. Mm-hmm. It's basically We're, a rap battle, but for like, you know, the progression of the old lady who swallowed a fly. It's song. a little bit of that. And it's a little <laughs> bit of like when you're on the playground and people start adding things to rock, paper, scissors. Mm-hmm. And then you have to come up with something that beats what they added. Yes. Right. It's like, I have a stick of dynamite and that beats everything. Yeah. So it goes from like, Oh, I'm a wolf. Oh, I'm a wolf hunter. Uh, on a horse oh i'm a horse fly who can you know give the horse a disease Mm -hmm. and then it builds towards like i am you know a supernova exploding the universe (laughs) oh i am all of the universe Mm -hmm. oh i am nihilism oh i am hope and what Mm -hmm. defeats him is dream saying i am hope which is kind of cool and it Mm -hmm. like that again you're, it's this all-powerful creature that you're still learning, like, what is Dream's morality? What does he value? What is he actually fighting for? Because he's on a quest for his own stuff. Mm-hmm. So to have him beat a demon this way is instructive. Like, I learned stuff about him yeah. here. And mm-hmm. it also, Lucifer swears a grudge. <laughs> which is Yeah, Lucifer's like, I'm that guy. Well, because Dream kind of embarrasses him in yep. front of all his demons yep <laughs> and lucifer's like well not gonna let that guy get away this isn't gonna be good mm-hmm. so we, now we've had at least two characters stare at like a departing morpheus vowing some kind of horrible <laughs> <Yep>. consequence <laughs> mm-hmm. um and so the next three episodes are kind of one arc with this john d dr destiny character um, passengers, twenty-four hours, and sound and fury. 
where he is going to get out of Arkham Asylum. He's going to do some cool stuff with Morpheus's ruby and then Morpheus is going to get it back. So mm-hmm. what did you you mentioned the Scarecrow cameo. Anything else about John D escaping from Arkham that you want to talk about? I mean, the the he, he just is just a re- so he's just got a whole grotesque. thing. Yeah, he's just like a skeleton with some skin stretched over him. He's Ugh, it's not it's not great looking. But no. yeah, his so there was in like the in in the first book, I think there's that like guy from the magical society who escapes with like a protection artifact. Yes. That? Yes. And then the the woman who was with Burgess and then was with him runs out on him and takes the protection art artifact with her. Mm hmm. And then she and she ends up being John D's mom visits Arkham, gives him the protective artifact, and then she dies. Yes. Um, and so he is using this protective amulet thing to escape Arkham and go and find this ruby because he had been using the ruby to do bad stuff. Yeah. And he wants to go back to doing that, please. And he so he hijacks this this woman's car at gunpoint, but then they end up having a conversation and she seems to come to the conclusion that he's not such a bad guy after all, which is the wrong conclusion. It's the wrong conclusion. I don't think he's lying to her in any of that stuff. It's just kind of his he's telling his own sad tale. Yeah. And she's like, oh, it's really sad for you that you, I guess, had a terrible relationship with your mom, maybe sort of. And also. People put you in prison, and you can't live out your dreams mm-hmm. of killing people, I guess. <laughs> uh, and then he does live out his dream of killing her, which is sad. Um, yeah, not great. Not great. Not great. And meanwhile, Morpheus is like, who is Morpheus getting help from to track where the ruby is? There's a guy in front of a computer. Who is that? Oh, is this like they, he just goes to, to the, the Justice League? Yeah, because you 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 called out that like Batman and the Green Lantern were standing there. He just like goes to the bureaucracy of the Justice League, which has gone international. It's called the JLI, the <laughs> like Justice League International. And he just finds this he finds this old timer who knows where all the like confiscated super stuff is. Yeah. And he gets directed to this warehouse. Yes, he does. He does. And so the the cool thing about this is how Dream is like hopping from oh yeah sleeping person to sleeping person to travel in like the physical plane, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is kind of really cool. neato. Yeah. yeah, and it's like I'm trying. Let me see if I can find the page quickly. I can I can see it in my brain. Mm-hmm. Where he is hop, I just flipped by the one where Martian Manhunter is there for some reason. I don't really. Martian know. Manhunter is there, and Martian Man. This is a good joke that I like. Is Martian Manhunter has a stash of Oreos that he keeps for guests <laughs> that he wants to go and eat. Oh yeah, so this is Dream. Um, I'm a passenger. I'm moving through your dreams. I'm riding in your dreams. Uh, I ride on Dragonback from Manhattan. The dragon is made of riveted iron and smells of cotton candy. I travel briefly by bus in the back of the dreamer, copulates desperately, not noticing his autonomous passenger. I sit at the front and talk to the driver. Uh, Approaching the state of Delaware, the dreamer is a small dog, dreaming impatiently of a past life long forgotten when he sailed tall ships across uncharted seas. 
Uh, I am moving through dreams, pulling towards Mayhew, which is where the warehouse is, feeling for the jewel. Uh, yeah, it's really cool art. I like that it's like the dog thing is fun. It's mm-hmm. very clever. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that it is modes of transportation in people's dreams is a fun twist on it, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's very clever. Very cool stuff. Um, and the the wrinkle that I was that I didn't expect here is that like he gets there. D gets the ruby first. Well, that's so right. Dream gets there, tries to get the ruby, and instead it like saps energy from. Oh him. yes, yes, yes. Because yes. of like weird modifications that D had had done to it. Yeah, I, th- I think he was telling the woman in the car about them, and then we see Dream getting like zapped. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, and then D shows up and is like, "Well, I don't know who you are, but." I'm taking my ruby back and I'm going to I'm going to do some I'm going to make a mess. Oh, he says, yes, he says it isn't a ruby really, it's a solid dream. It's the only dream I have. Nobody else can use it anymore, nobody but me. He like isolated it from its power source. Yeah. That's what he says. Um and then we get this weird bottle episode. In the 20, diner? 24 hours. Yep. Which is what if a whole comic of torture porn <laughs> Yeah, what if that? What if that? How did this how did this hit you because like I simultaneously feel like this does start to get into a little more of the like complicated or like the the form of it I find kind of interesting cuz it goes hour by hour. Yeah. And mm-hmm. describes the thing that the stuff that John D is doing to these poor people who all end up in this diner with him over the the course of a day before dream shows up. Yep. For the final showdown. Yep. Um, yeah. Like it's, it's, I, some of it is probably a little gratuitous. Like one guy cuts his finger off and then John D is like, Hey, I'm going to nibble on that finger a little bit, but it's also like interesting. I don't know. It's, it's, it is, it sticks in your brain for sure. Yeah, it really does. I guess the thing that maybe would make it like stay with me longer is like, I don't know. Oh, maybe it is trying to do this. Like it's got a couple of different like types of characters here, but not really anybody who you've met before this exact moment. Yeah. 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 Um, and so like, yeah, we've got this like army vet. We've got the lady who works there. We've got these like middle-aged, this like guy who looks like a mix between the kingpin and Donald Trump. Like <laughs> I thought I was going to say he looks like a refrigerator sized John Candy. Oh yeah, but also that's cuz that. we just watched Home Alone. So <laughs> like he and his unhappy wife um, we've got this unhappy wife, unhappy life. Oh my that god. That phrase cuts both ways, you know. Um, we've got this other guy whose story i don't remember he's like the like trucker guy his or no the guy who's going for the interview the guy who's going for the interview Mm -hmm. and then we've got the younger woman um who is like waiting for a phone call from her girlfriend maybe or her girlfriend's supposed to meet her there yeah trying to get in touch with her girlfriend yeah she uh who she hit yeah Mm or they were having a big fight and then i i guess the thing for me is that like what he does to torture them could have maybe played on them on their like essential characteristics even more. Yeah. I, I, I can, I can see that for sure. I, the things I'll say about that is like one, some of the, 
some of the stuff that you are wanting in this like early shows up later in this run will will not with these characters but like the everything that is is happening in this sort of episode is will come back later and deliver more texture for other characters who you can maybe get a little bit more invested in yeah that makes sense um yeah and the other thing this is a question that i have for you a literal question in hour of an hour 11 Mm -hmm. overall i like this i'm just kind of like some of these thoughts I'm having, I'm having off the dome where I'm like looking at a frame of them. He's carved the word God or something on his chest and mm-hmm. in blood and they're carrying him around and he just wants people to worship him and okay, whatever. Um, he's, he's Mostly this accomplishes <laughs> like he's a stinko, can't wait for Dream to come and kick his butt, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, hour 11, he catches up on the news. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a few slides, a few panels of like the world is falling apart mm-hmm. and n- no superheroes are doing anything about it. It's mm-hmm. practically Armageddon. Is that supposed to be real or is that part of whatever he's creating in this diner? That's that is real. So that's like that is there are a couple other uh things i actually think maybe the tv show does this maybe a little bit more effectively because you can be hearing the tv going in the background while you're paying attention to what other characters are doing but i think the the diner is is meant to be sort of a microcosm of the chaos that sure okay is causing like both by having this ruby and by having knocked out dream like we already have a little bit of context for how badly it can screw up the world when 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 dream stuff is happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so I think you know we're we're seeing that rendered on a small like more relatable canvas in the in the diner. And and you're you're right that maybe it would be more even more effective in this way if it if we knew these characters a little bit more or if what was happening to them was playing on them more as individuals, but and then the TV stuff is like this is what's happening in the wider world. It's also it's also pretty bad out there, that, but I think, it's all for the same reason. Okay, that that was my. I couldn't tell. I like went back and forth in how I understood that moment of like, is that what he is like wishing is happening in the TV, or is he literally doing that? Either made sense to me. Well, and there's that there's that one joke in that sequence where the the very 80s newscaster lady yeah, is yeah. like interviewing some schlubby superhero about the thing and then she cuts away to a fluffy feel good story about uh ducks who tap, tap dance. dance. Yep. And it can I guess is hard to it that is is clearly a a joke clowning on that like genre of newscasting. Yep. But it's also surreal enough if the world is indeed falling apart that you can maybe wonder, is this whole thing like actually happening or is it all a joke or what's the deal? Yep. 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 <clears throat> and, you know, we talked about the Joker. So it's um, true. We got a Joker up in here. But then, yeah, you're right. Because I'm looking at the last page before Sound and Fury and there's a lot more like the world is falling apart. So that's that's sh- how I should have read that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then Sound and Fury is, is the confrontation, the battle between Dream and D. Uh, Which is like fine. I honestly don't like I don't. There's not a lot to. No, it's it's talk about with this one. It, it feels a little perfunctory. 
Well, because you know, in a way, <laughs> that I I I'm staring at the nine other Sandman books on my shelf, and I'm looking at the penultimate issue in this first trade paperback, and I'm like, well, I mean, he's got this handled, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> There, there would not that. be this much more other stuff if he was gonna die to this this minor villain in this first yeah. one. The, the 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 interesting wrinkles here are that like Dream is taking him through different kind of realities. The art style is kind of melting a little bit, and mm-hmm. like some of it almost feels like they're playing with like photographs and things that they've desaturated. Um and then he ultimately, what is he, he's like, when Morpheus finally tells him how important the ruby is to him, D mistakenly is like, well, then fine, I'll just crush it. Yeah. And that gives Morpheus all of his power back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the art that I wanted to shout out is the moment that that happens where you have this, like, uh, Dr. Destiny, who's got Skeletor vibes, crushing mm-hmm. a ruby, mm-hmm. and there's big, bold, woomph, like cartoon, oh. like the word woomph. <laughs> yeah. This is the most uh, like 1960s Batman yeah. sound effects that this issue of the And then the gets. very next page is a very small Dr. Destiny on an all-white page, mm-hmm. like just floating in nothingness, and mm-hmm. it's... Like the the visual equivalent of like oh wow he's in a room full of silence and then the next time you see Morpheus he is as he is bigger than the page can handle he's coming out of the frame out of the panel and he's holding Doctor D mm-hmm. in his hands mm-hmm. um, and he kind of looks like what if Trent Reznor had long spiky hair that's a little it's like, <laughs> kind of Morpheus's <laughs> whole vibe. I mean, talk about it a little bit more when death shows up too, but like some of these character designs are very like alt eighties yeah, culture yeah, yeah, in a, yeah. in a specific way that is hard to avoid when you're, when you're talking about sure. these books now. Um, and then again, like Morpheus is a guy who is capable of mercy, which is not necessarily what we would learn from the first issue. Um, but he just sends, D back to Arkham rather than like yeah. blowing him up or which or I guess is, is fitting for a Batman villain right like oh, it's, yeah you can you can like blow up a hospital but you still just go back in Arkham <laughs> you still just go back in like the medium security yep. asylum not gonna break this one in. rule yeah um and then we get this last issue the sound of her wings Andrew tell me about what happens hey, de, here denouement dream is feeling a little sad after like I, I sympathize with him I I also am prone to being a little sad after a big thing wraps up kind of feel, you know, that, that what's next feeling. Or yeah. That, this, uh, the, uh, this was driving my life for however long it was driving my life and now it's over and I am not used to doing other stuff and I don't know how to handle it. Well, and like I put a lot of things on hold while I was imprisoned in a guy's basement for 70 years and mm-hmm. I have a really long to-do list now and I don't know if I want to do any of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dream's in a park, he's despondent, he's feeding the pigeons, and then this like little spunky goth girl shows up. Yeah. And who's and this is Dream's older sister Death. Yeah. She seems cool. Yeah, she's pretty cool. It's it's like the the one of the like most iconic things about this entire comic series, I think, is like Death not being a unintimidating 
you know, like Grim Reaper Muppet with a a scythe, (laughs) but is a very cheery, not particularly intimidating, like small woman. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Um, Created by Mike Dringenberg um, said that he based the initial sketch on someone he knew from dance clubs in Utah, mm -hmm. um, though there were other people in his life that he kind of used to do some of the posing. Um, and then he is kind of credited with both the creation of death and delirium, despair, and at least one other one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's not dreariness, but my notes just no. say despair twice, so I don't know what the third <laughs> one is. <laughs> um, but yeah, and de- death is cool. And what we get like, death is going to show up and do her job. It's bring your brother to work day. Yeah, first she yells at Morpheus for moping around and throws some bread at his head. Yep. In another bit of art that it was close it's close second to the <laughs> ridiculous like punk rock demon that we just talked about. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um and then yeah, we just he he just follows her around while she does her job, which is to meet people who are dying and sort of bring them through to whatever's next. And in the theology of this this whole book is weird. I don't want to get super far into it, but you do have simultaneously like Lucifer in hell, which implies the existence of like God, like by yeah. Christian God, but then also death here implying like a, an amount of like uncertainty or, or not knowing what's next about what happens after after people die like she she's not telling people oh hey congratulations like you subscribe to the right religion you get to go to heaven yeah <laughs> it's yeah she's she's just there like ushering people through to whatever the next thing is yeah her her actions are very generous and charitable they're like oh you're out of time and then there's like a transitionary moment where the people go oh i guess i was out of time and they like mm-hmm. talk with death about who they were if they're able to and like who they were and then they move on. Um, and we yeah. see like a couple different little vignettes of like, you know, a guy in his apartment. There is um, somebody in a traffic accident. There's a yeah, baby, which is full, sad. Yeah, you kind of get the full spectrum of, of like it's there's it's unex, there's unexpected death. There's like deaths in an accident. There's a death of old age. There's yeah, it's just it is. It's the All range of human of... experience, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which I guess is like there to awaken. I guess what what we don't know, or what I don't know, is how Dream, how Morpheus feels about people. Mm-hmm. And I guess part of the issue with this, like with that, he is having is that he doesn't know either. It's this is going to be a topic that we return to a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess like. What what is nice about this issue for him and for me and for the reader, other readers, other than me, is <laughs> uh is that like sure. there's a there's a clarity to what death is there to do that is like helping people transition from the end of their life, right? Well it's just kind of it's refocusing dream on like we're here to to serve existence and humanity. These like and, these yeah. like mortal or or living people it's it's not and it's not uh confined exclusively to humans like we'll we'll, oh sure that's another thing Uh that we'll uh we'll talk about a lot but like 
the the endless uh, dream and death and despair and the rest of them they're they're there because they represent some like elemental part of humanity and they just they have jobs to do and yep. they need to do them. Yep, 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 yep. Um, so it's fun. It's kind of neat, and it ends with him being like, "Okay, uh, I mess I missed some time while I was uh, in the clink, as it were, mm-hmm. and I got to get back to it. I got a lot of work to do, and I guess I'm gonna go." do it and then yeah. it's like you know probably a cool song plays and he's gonna go walk off and do some right stuff. it's like the end of the matrix it's yeah. just morpheus flying out of the phone booth while the <laughs> wake while rage gets credits. the machine plays yeah, it's, like, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's more tender than that but yes um yeah that's it's a cool it's a cool book yeah how would you just general impressions we were running a little bit long so like general impressions on your first read through of the first sandman trade paperback how you how you feeling about embarking upon this project i feel like it's gonna be fun i Mm -hmm. i'm uh excited about the wit that i have encountered and and i don't just mean like one-liners i mean like the the types of scenarios and the way that they get revo- like resolved for something mm-hmm. that can be and I'm sure continues like there are elements of it that are kind of horror-y. Yeah. Um that like a battle with a demon in hell doesn't isn't just superhero punching, isn't right. Just it's not just beams. Goku punching a guy into a mountain. Or yeah. Whatever. And mm-hmm. like listen, if I want I can I often want that and I know where I can get it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But like this is dealing with something else, and I was kind of, I was pleasantly surprised with the the types of storytelling. But also, you have you've gotten me intrigued with the notion that like, is this the weakest stuff in it? Is this mm-hmm. like only laying the groundwork for cooler stuff to come? Mm-hmm. More eleven, like I don't know. So what are you what are you looking forward to? Because I know you did like a a reread pretty recently as we were prepping for this. Yeah, because I I was just thinking back to to Homer time and like yeah. how it how it was helpful to have one of us be like it's different from the normal show in that we've both read it, but it's still helpful to have somebody there who can shape the experience a little bit more when there's just this much material to deal with and and we're not always yeah, sure yeah. what is going to pull forward to subsequent discussions and what isn't. So yeah, like I, I am looking for like the next one is much more representative of um, what the entire series is. So the doll's house is the is doll's the house. second volume, but yeah, there's just like great stuff sprinkled throughout this that I am really excited to, to talk about. Okay. Just, Cause and, and to unpack because I don't, I don't know. I haven't unpacked it on a podcast with anybody before. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's where we are. So this was a, a prelude to a great rest of our series. Mm-hmm. And it is currently a nocturne and I need to go to bed. Yeah, we all need to go to bed. <laughs> and maybe I'll meet Morpheus while I'm there. Yeah. Um, Say Hi. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to Sand By Me, a podcast about Neil Gaiman's The Sandman from the boys at Overdue, a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And 
I'm covered in sand. You're covered in sand, and that's why you sound like your, th- your throat sounds so sandy. It sounds so scratchy because you got all kinds of sand in there. Well, I'm trying to make it sound so nice because mm-hmm. it feels terrible. <laughs> uh, I don't have my 100% dope voice this episode, but that's no, okay. not like normal, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm in a land of dream where mm-hmm. my voice is different and it's a nightmare. Yeah, and it's you know it sounds like this, but then one day you'll wake up and it'll sound regular again. It'll sound different at least. It'll sound different. Yeah. So Andrew, this is our uh, now with two episodes long running series mm-hmm. on the uh, graphic novel comic series by Neil Gaiman's by Neil by Gaiman. Neil Gaiman and many others and many that we others, talked about in the, the first Sandman. episode. And yes, we have. This will make it so that we will have talked twice as long about this book as we do about most books that we yeah, talk about. That's twice true. as many episodes. That's true. Um, this episode, we're going to be covering volume two of the you know trade paperback collection, um, The Doll's House, mm-hmm. with obviously written by Neil Gaiman with illustration by Mike Dringenberg, Malcolm Jones III, Chris Bacallo, Michael Zuli, Steve Parkhouse. Uh, Maybe heavy some hitters. I think yeah, I think there's, there's some, some like letters and other and stuff that we've yeah. Robbie Bush, Karen Berger, still the editor. Yeah. Yes. 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 But yes. yes. Uh, so yeah, Volume Two, Doll's House. Here's what I know about the way this was published: is that this was actually the first collection of Sandman stories that was ever published. Yeah. Issues. Um, what was it originally? Was nine issues, to 16 issues or eight to sixteen. Eight to sixteen originally. So this book as originally published. Included the like a denouement from Preludes and Nocturnes, where Dream and Death walk around and and Dream watches Death do her thing. Yeah. Um, and I I've got to imagine that was included in that collection because first because that feels like the issue where the where the thing really comes together. Like it stops being Dream's like fetch quest thing, which is like entertaining and there's a lot of fun stuff that we talked about, but. It felt more like the series finding whatever it was that it was trying to say. Um, and also it's just like an introduction to the characters, I think. Well, if, and if it, you're just if you're gonna pick like one standalone book thing, then yeah, you need to know some stuff about dream and death yes. specifically. And you, you can't start it any earlier than that without starting it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And you can't honest not that not that you can't, but that that issue like does just kind of sum up where Morpheus is at the beginning of the rest of the thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Emotionally and mm-hmm. or what I don't know if he experiences emotions mm-hmm. the yeah, way I we mean, do. He, he experiences anger in this one and oh, he does. other things. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Horniness. Uh <laughs> I mean love. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so and it was what the because this was collected and published uh, and got popular, they went yeah, it, back and did Preludes and Nocturnes? Yes, and so they included, they ended up including number eight in that one, and then future printings of Doll's House starts at number nine, which is the, like, the parable, like, campfire story about the city that gets destroyed. Yes, um, yes, yes. So, yeah, it is, it's another sort of self-contained arc. There are going to be a couple of these volumes that... Um, are all just smaller stories kind of collected from 
throughout the the run. Um, but this one, with a couple of small sort of exceptions, is telling one big arc. Yep. Uh, about this girl Rose Walker and her wheelings and dealings and the stuff, the deal with her. <laughs> yeah, her deal. Her deal. Yeah. Um, and also of Dream, like sort of still putting his realm back together after being imprisoned for seventy years, and and yeah. And there's one big revelation at the end of this volume that is like, oh, there's. Big a bigger game is afoot, mm-hmm. perhaps with mm-hmm. you know that we don't know anything we don't know any specifics about. But yeah, um, quick like recap of last time: the Lord of Dreams Morpheus was imprisoned for decades by a guy who actually meant to summon death so he could be immortal, but he messed up. Uh, it caused all sorts of chaos, including a bunch of people who got sleeping sickness, including a woman named Unity Kincaid. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Andrew mentioned. Morpheus, a.k.a. Dream, had to go on a series of fetch quests after he got free to acquire three magic items, his sand, his mask, and a ruby. And optionally, in every issue, there were three hidden coins that he could have collected to 100% the game. But we didn't cover that when we talked about the episode. Uh, And along the way, we met some, you know, we saw some fun cameos from DC Comics characters. Of course, this is a DC property. We talked about that a bit in the last episode. We'll talk about some of the ones in this volume as well. Batman was there. Batman was there. Scarecrow was there. Yes. The Mar- Martian Manhunter. Mm-hmm. All of your faves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some weird demons that were DC canon in a way that surprised yeah, they, me. You could only tell were DC characters because they were dressed like Wolverine from X-Men, which I know is a Marvel thing. Like, don't come at me. But, like, it's just, that's, yeah. a, that's the way that comic book characters dress. Yes, It's like true. yellow molded spandex. Uh-huh. Um, and then at the end of that volume, one guy had the special ruby and he was using it to torture a bunch of people in a di- in a diner mm-hmm. and then Dream had to show up and stop him. And that it was kind of like, you know, an imposter on the throne situation. Mm-hmm. And another one of those crops up here. Yeah. If I want to be tortured in a diner, I'll just eat the non-breakfast food. Thank you very much. Get some scrapple. Mm-hmm. You know, Ugh. Ugh. Uh, I am a proud Pennsylvanian and I would not touch Scrapple <laughs> with a 10 foot pole. I, I love people who do eat it and uh, that's okay. Did ever make Scrapple Snapple? No, you should write a letter. Start yeah, change.org. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, Andrew, what is this opening parable that you alluded to? This first like prologue slash issue thing. Yes, it is It is two men in a desert, and one of them is old, one of them is young, and each man in this, in this, it's, I don't know if it's, you classify it as like a tribe or yeah, a, that's... like a, yeah, but um, there's a story that is passed on, and everybody hears it once when they're young, and everybody gets to pass it down once when they're old. Mm-hmm. Um, so they go out into the middle of the desert. The older guy tells the younger guy, go find something for me. You'll know what it is. Um, and the younger guy comes back with like this big shard of glass. And the older guy tells the story about the city of glass that used to exist here. Yeah. Um, that was like the cradle of human civilization, basically. <laughs> seemed pretty cool. Yeah. It seemed like a pretty cool city. 
Uh, it was so big that you couldn't walk from one end uh, to the of it to the other in a day, which I that's pretty big. Yeah. How long? How, how much of Philadelphia could you walk across in a day? Oh, that's a. It good... depends on yeah. If you try to walk like the longest you can walk instead of just walking north to south or east to west. Um, a friend of mine did a project where they do the perimeter walk of Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to remember how big it is. Mm-hmm. We walked from the top of Manhattan to the bottom of it in. Like from a morning to a to an early evening once, so the perimeter of of Philadelphia takes about a hundred miles. Okay, and you might want to do that over several days. But so if you're what like you're walking a mile in fifteen you, if you leave from you know South Street going five mm-hmm. miles an hour mm-hmm. and, and I, you leave yeah. from <laughs> from Maniunk or and whatever. if I can travel <laughs> through dreams, mm-hmm. then I'll take the low road and anyway I'll get to <laughs> cool city cool city of glass. It seems pretty big. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not here anymore. That's the problem. No, it's not here it's anymore gone. because so there was a queen. Way back in the day, the most beautiful queen ever that yep. anybody ever knew. She was 16 years old. It's never, neither here nor well, there. Hmm. Um, she was really beautiful, and whenever anybody, but she didn't have she didn't have a man. And whenever anybody asked her, "Hey, why don't you have a man?" She was like, "Well, find a man who's good enough, okay?" And then they stop. They shut up after that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because she's so pretty and so wise and so great. Uh, and so she sees, like, from her balcony or something, I think, this mysterious man instantly falls in love with him. Instantly. Instantly. Then what happens? Well, and then he falls in love with her, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey. Well, she's got to go find him. Well, she, has, she does have to go find him. Does she yeah. have to go talk to, like, a bunch of birds to go yeah, find him? Yeah, she goes him? and talks to a bunch of birds who are actually gods because the the, the guy just casually drops. This is when gods... Used to walk the earth. They kind of lived like up north. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she goes and talks to a bird and the birds ask around among all the other birds. None of the other birds have ever seen this guy. And then she checked with the humans first and none of the humans have ever seen him either. Yeah. Um, and then there's this one little bird. Do you remember the kind of bird that he is? It was the weaver bird, right? Yeah, something like that. Uh, he says, yeah, I saw him. I saw him. I'll go find him. Well, no, what he, what he says is, I saw him, and then also there's this magical sun tree where you, you, yes. you eat the berries, you'll wake up next to your yeah. true love. Yes, <laughs> of like, course. Wow, this, bird, this bird's got connections. <laughs> and this bird needs more respect, to be mm-hmm. perfectly mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so this little bird, what does this little bird do? Well, what, the bird? Yeah, the little bird, he flies up to the sun, and he he was a white bird, and he comes back oh, with the sunberry, yes. and then he turns brown, and that's why all those birds are brown now. <laughs> I just like that. I like those little bits of of myth stories that are like, yeah, and this is why this animal is like this to this very day. And this day. is why the he, frog always hops to the left. Yeah, yeah. it's because he made the wrong guy happy or mad. Yes. Yes. Millennia ago, and now, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, I had forgotten to zero in on the bird switching. No, you, color okay. Beat. So we're talking about the, we're done talking about the bird now. You can talk about the plot stuff you want. To well, I was about. just that's fine. <laughs> I was just gonna say, well, then she you know eats the berries and wakes up in the dreaming in the land of mm-hmm. dream, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and she does manage to meet a guy who's wearing a sick gas mask because yeah. that is just the way that dream rolls. That's the way dream rolls. Um, and so they, you know, get to know each other, fall in love. And he's like, hey, why don't you be my queen of the dream world? Uh, that sounds like a good plan, right? She is like, she knows that she loves him, but then also as soon as she realizes what he is, she's trying to run away from him. Because it's like she's like, it's not for humans to, yes. to love the endless, basically. Well, and it's an interesting dynamic because as you're reading it, like I'm more... I think I'm used to versions of this story where like the beings with more power are like, we shouldn't mm-hmm. like it, it's like it's transgressive and messed up for Zeus to go around and like bone a bunch of ladies and then like turn them into animals so that Cows they can't tell stuff, anyone yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a situation where the mortal woman is like, nah, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I think this will go bad for us. Mm-hmm. Ma- mostly me <laughs> mm-hmm. let's not do this and Which then he dream mad. like chases her yeah. down and they and they end up sleeping together uh and then he's like okay so be my queen and she's like no i can't do that and he's, he's like if you tell me no like a couple more times i'm gonna <laughs> uh-oh well she she like throws herself off a cliff yeah to to avoid this temptation and then he follows her into death because he's one of the endless yeah he's like hey could you be my could you be my queen now forever and she's like no i don't like stop asking me i'm gonna have to tell you no and you're gonna have to punch me and it's gonna be bad for everybody and then Mm -hmm. for the last time he asked her to be his bride and the story's over yeah we don't get to know the end Mm -hmm. and the younger guy is like well that the story doesn't have an ending what the what gifts what am i supposed to become a man with this with this story with no ending i do like that there is a in like the narrator box it says uh that there's another version of the story mm-hmm. that men are not told that mm-hmm. is the version that women tell each other yeah i just kind of like that i like i like yeah. the overall this series and, and this is not does not surprise me based on the other game that we've read like he's just very interested in how stories work yeah. And so multiple times there are characters who are like commenting on how stories end. Um, that's a big thing with Rose at the end of this volume. Mm-hmm. Um, and just an awareness that like sometimes what is more powerful is to not actually know and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which is kind of cool. Yeah. The, though, so one thing to note about Dream in this is that so the everybody in the in the story is black. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Dream like his aspect is also like yes. black. Mm-hmm. You, you get the, th- this becomes a thing. You don't see it a ton in, in this, but it, there is like precedent for it where dream, like each the endless can take on different aspects depending on like the, the civilization or like form of life that they are interacting with. Yeah. yeah. So I don't like there, there's one with like cats that I don't remember if we've read already. I don't know that, that we'll we have to. read one with cats, okay, Andrew. Yeah. yeah, it's like part of part of the it's the TV show came out as like ten episodes, and then they did one like standalone one at the end, and that one was was about the cat stuff. That might be in the next book, but um, so we actually, if you remember back to the first book, we dream while he was in hell met a woman who saw this version this like black version of dream 
and I think we are meant to understand that it is Nada, the the oh, woman who I, the woman who rejected him and was sent to hell. <laughs> yeah, okay, I I think I remember that. Yeah, I didn't clock it at the time because there were a bunch of like snot demons to look. Yeah, at. Yeah, there were a bunch of other just like monsters that were mostly mouths yeah. wandering around, and it, yeah, it's easy to <laughs> to lose focus. It's true. I don't that that is an interesting thing that certainly you have as we're going through it that I don't is. You're on a reread. You're on like a mm-hmm. multi-level reread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you don't even know how many I'm levels a, I'm working. On. <laughs> I'm a babe in the woods here. Yeah, you're a little baby. So I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I'm just taking it in, man. Okay. Well, don't let me. Okay, don't let me steamroll you, and no. don't let me. I just think um, I appreciate that. I just don't spoil anything. Well, okay. I now I know to look forward to cats. Now you know the cat people. Yeah. Um, but. I've I've been thinking my notes for the end of this episode where I'm gonna like things I. They're not specific things, but just like here's where I think we're gonna some okay. stuff that might happen. So sure, excited to talk about that. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, then we're getting into the doll's house proper mm-hmm. here. There's this opening section that kind of like yada yada over my brain because I didn't really know what I was looking at, uh, and I think that's okay. Yeah, where it's it is a little. Oh, oh yes, go ahead. No, where yeah. desire. One mm-hmm. of the other endless, who's just horny, yeah, for things, everything, um, and is like watching dream, is video chatting with despair uh-huh. about something that is happening to dream, mm-hmm. and that there is a new vortex, yeah, vortex, and that that is bad, yeah. But in a way that desires pumped about, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, and then, <laughs> and then we don't see that character until that like the end of the book, and that was fine. But I was like, all right, well, now there are these people on a plane to England, and I know what England is, so I'm gonna like, yeah, zero I'm gonna latch on onto this that part. one. Yeah, I know, like nobody, nobody in this part of the book lives in a giant like castle shapes like themselves, yeah, and made yeah. of like skin and blood and stuff, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, just more more endless. I don't know that we met or at least spent much time with any of the endless besides Dream and Death. I don't know that we volume. did. No. Yeah. So these are these are a couple more of them. Well, and you're and you're and, starting... and you get the sense that they are they are lesser endless because they reference like the big the big three and yes. in there talk yes. with each other. And it it what the big three are Dream, Death, and Destiny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Um, and you just get a sense of like the color scheme for the endless when they are not choosing like a specific aspect as we've been talking about is this mm-hmm. kind of like not black and white but very stark often you know very pale but yeah it's you get a you get a visual language for them so that you can kind of recognize them on site which is a thing yeah. that, that you know is a thing that the this medium can do Mm-hmm. And they and they also also often either get a special speech bubble like Dream does, or they get a cool their font. own like typeface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then we get uh, introduced to Ro- is it Rose Watkins? Is that Watson? What is her last name? Rose Wat- I thought it was Rose. Um... It's I mean Walker, excuse me. Walker. Yeah, Rose Walker. Rose I Walker. I, yeah. I I know that I said it, but then as soon as you asked me what it was, it just like fled it just <laughs> escaped. Yep. It just fell out my ear onto the floor and I couldn't find it. Her and her mom, Miranda, mm-hmm. are going mm-hmm. to England. Yeah. 
for what? Hey, what? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, Gov. Oi. Bruv. Auto, put, put me suitcase in the boot of that auto. <laughs> Quick, get us past that lorry, bruv. <laughs> Uh, okay. And they are answering a mysterious summons um, to go to England because a relative, or no, just somebody has summoned. Just somebody, yeah. yeah. Um, we got our first, like, okay. Then we, like, slide into the dreamland. Yeah. And Rose keeps falling asleep. She keeps napping. Rose keeps napping, yes, in the car. She can't stop. And her brother is missing. Her brother, Jed. Mm-hmm. Or she just hasn't seen him. She hasn't seen him. They in don't. A while. She doesn't know where he is. Yeah, Nobody yeah. knows where he is. Um, and there's this fun page where Rose is asleep in the back of the motor car or whatever mm-hmm. they call it in England, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the page rotates ninety degrees, and we see who is that? Is that Abel who has I the little so. imp? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, Kane slew Abel, so yes, yes it's Abel. Abel has his little. A uh, cool little dragon imp gargoyle thing, Goldie, mm-hmm. and there's a census being taken in the Dreamland because mm-hmm. they're kind of putting it back together and they're yes. trying to see who's still there and who jumped ship. Yes, and there's a problem because like four in four particular, four people are missing. Yeah, mm-hmm. Blorpo and Glob. There's Brute and Glob. Brute and Glob. <laughs> Which is such a, I believe those are characters from like 70s Bronze Age. They are. Weird yes. Sandman. They are. Yes. Um, and then uh, the, the Corinthian is missing. Yes. And then uh, Fiddler's Green is missing. Fiddler's Green is missing. Yes. And then, and Dream is the only one who Dream is really surprised about is Fiddler's Green because he was a cool dude. And also he was like a park. <laughs> he was, he was a place. In yeah, the dreaming in the not a, yeah in the panel where it's like you know there's there's brute and glob and it's yeah they really look like brute and glob yeah and then there's the Corinthian who's just got big Merovingian energy except mm-hmm. he has teeth eyes yeah uh, and then Fiddler's Green is just a orb of a cool place to be mm-hmm. um, which is kind of confusing because you don't know how we're gonna meet that creature entity mm-hmm. later. Yeah. And then there is Morpheus talking about there being a vortex. Yes? Yeah, Lu- Lucian who is like Morpheus's number 2 basically. Yeah. Um yeah. who's been taking the scent this um who's the only one who like didn't leave the dreaming when Morpheus <laughs> was gone and has been taking the census and they are talking about the vortex and and Lucian's like should we go look for it and figure it out and Dream's like no, it'll find us. In fact, there it is over there looking at us. <laughs> like having this conversation yeah mm-hmm. and then it, then it cuts over to rose it goes back yeah. vertical yes because she wakes up yeah. and we're out of the dreaming now and this is where we meet unity kincaid she's an old lady mm-hmm. who spent much of her life asleep yeah she was in the like the first issue of the first book as one of the like three or four yeah three or four named characters who had the sleepy sickness and she's got this little dollhouse yeah the dollhouse and there are a few shots in the book where you could see morpheus hanging out in there is that morpheus or is that desire it's hard to tell where she's so little where he's so little um 
I don't remember what page that's on. Yeah, I feel like we're going to maybe use uh, pronouns interchangeably for desire because that's what Gaiman yes. does. Yes. Like, clearly, desire is not meant to be any one thing. Every time it comes up, Gaiman mentions multiple pronouns. Yeah, so. I guess that is Morpheus. I based on... it on the hair. Yeah, no, you're right. You're um, right. And so... He just has like a little impish face in one of the panels. Yeah, I don't really think of him not as Morpheus having an impish deal, no. face most of the time. <laughs> Um, and Unity explains that, hey, uh, I brought you here um, because actually you're my daughter and granddaughter. I was asleep for decades and I had a kid while I was asleep. We learned mm-hmm. about that last time. Um, and while she's telling Miranda about this, Rose goes and takes a walk and encounters mm-hmm. the witches in a broom closet. Yeah. That happened. And she asks and she like asks her three questions without realizing what she's doing. And yep. they are like, well, shoot, if you'd asked the right questions, we could have told you how to avoid all the stuff that's about to happen to you. But now that you didn't, you're just going to have to roll with it. Good luck. What a fun way for the book to say a bunch of stuff is going to happen to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we learn a little bit about Unity um, and her deal and... Yeah, that's, I mean, there's a ring that she gives Rose, which sort of becomes important later. Yeah. Um, but then, then we then we jump to like a serial killer person doing mm-hmm. serial killer things mm-hmm. as a little Very teaser. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we move ahead and Rose is in Florida looking for her little brother. Yeah. Moving into a boarding house with a bunch of wackos. It's Jed, Jed right? Not Jeb. Jed. Well, Jed. <laughs> yeah. looking for Jeb. There's other Jebs in Florida, but Jeb. Jed, Jed is the missing boy in Florida mm-hmm. um, that she doesn't know where he is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and she's moving into a a sitcom ready house oh, with a boy. bunch of characters. It's a real cast, you mm-hmm. know. There's Hal who. Uh, has like an evening gig as a drag queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is Ken and Barbie. Mm-hmm. Who are so normal that they loop back around to being weird. Yes, love it. We all know people like that. There are, <laughs> well, there are Chantal and Zelda mm-hmm. who wear gowns all the, like. Who dress like the corpse bride and collect spiders. spiders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and there is a guy upstairs named Gilbert mm-hmm. that she doesn't meet for a while. Yeah, she hears sometimes she hears him talking and sometimes she hears him like thumping around yep. above her, but yep. does yep. not meet him immediately the way that she meets everybody else. Um and while she's there, we are also getting shots of where we eventually find out where Jed is because mm-hmm. Morpheus's bird mike matthew Matthew. Mm -hmm. steals a photo of jed and that's how morpheus knows where he is you want so this is a choice that i think will make you go like kombucha girl a little bit matthew (laughs) in the show is voiced is voiced by Patton oswalt yeah yeah there yeah Yeah. there you go (laughs) Uh (laughs) you're like wait well who and then you're like, no, oh, that kind of works. It actually. does kind of work, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to actually. I would not be able to put Patton Oswalt into a different character mm-hmm. if I were watching The Sandman. Mm-hmm. But for just to be a voice, that would mm-hmm. that would work for me. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
And so Matthew gets this photo, and then we learn that Jed... First, we see this like weird, different art, bright art style in the land of marvelous dreams. Yes. There are two people in like brightly colored superhero clothes mm-hmm. flying around with this boy, and then there's mm-hmm. Brute and Glob in a balloon. <laughs> Uh, so we um we talked so we actually talked about this in our I think in our Calvin and Hobbes episode. This and I, I remembered it because I had done all the research for that episode and came across this comic sure. and some of the like praise and criticism of it. Uh, there's this old comic called Little Nemo from like the uh, early twentieth oh. century, uh, which is known for like doing all this really big like innovative art. In the you know within the confines of of like a weekly comic yeah. strip format, um, but was not like written particularly well. <laughs> um, the Wikipedia article said, and I, I this stuck with me. Um, the speech bubbles, uh, the the level of effort and skill apparent in the title lettering highlights what seems to be the little regard for the dialogue balloons, their content, and their placement in the visual composition. They tend to contain repetitive monologues expressing the increasing distress of the speakers and showed off that McKay's gift was in the visual and not the verbal. Okay. So this is uh, Windsor McKay who did Little Nemo. So you see, you get this bright art style. Little Jed looks like Little Nemo. And then all the weird stuff that he's saying is just this bland stuff about like sort of captioning what is happening in the <laughs> in the panel in a well, really like bland, uninteresting way. And it's kind of interesting too that the panels are numbered so that you yes, know that what was a order was a little Nemo thing too. Yeah, um, the one the two that are really wacky are like when they're flying near the hot air balloon with Brute and Glob, and it's like, "Hello, Jed, watch out for the Skooky Bird." Ha ha, mm-hmm. it is our spooky bird. Mm-hmm. And then Jed says, oh no, it is the spooky bird. It's mm-hmm. like, what are we saying? We're just doing really specific, narrow-casted, like, ripping on, yep. <laughs> on Little Nemo, a yep. comic from 80 years ago. <laughs> and then on the next page, we get, you know, what is happening in the real world, which is Jed is trapped in a boiler room, peeing against a wall in somebody's basement, uh, and he can't get out. He's trapped mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, so like doing a bunch of stuff. One juxtaposing this weird, colorful dreamscape with the horror of Jed's actual everyday existence. Doing some real weird dropping of references to both Little Nemo and like the '70s Bronze Age Sandman character. Yeah, <laughs> which we'll get into a little bit more, I think, because I think Brute and Glob are from that. Yes, they as are. Well, like they're weird little like helpers slash minions of the weird superhero Sandman. <laughs> and so Morpheus is going to get involved with finding Jed because he knows that it is related to the Vortex. And so that can't be a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get this quick little scene where uh, the man from the attic, Gilbert, saves Rose from some street thugs mm-hmm. who accost her. So the thing um, with um with Jed, just to like be oh, more yeah. specific, because it, it kind of explains what is going on with him and Bruton Clob's whole deal, is Morpheus is like, yeah, this kid's alive, but he's not in the dreaming, which is not oh yes possible. yes. Um, so somebody has like trapped him in some like dreaming like bubble, and Morpheus is like, oh, this this feels like Bruton Glob to me. I need to go kick their butts. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and. 
uh, yeah, so we get some more weird little Nemo stuff after Rose has met Gilbert. Um, and then I think the next big thing is that Rose gets a call from some detectives saying that they yeah. found the the people who have been caring for him according to like the welfare office. Yeah, it's like Rose's dad's family, like her deadbeat absentee dad's family. Okay. Um, and so she's going to set off to go find them. Gilbert is going to go with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Teddy Roosevelt looking dude. He does look like Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> um, he's a big jolly guy. Uh, and but also he's, but also he is handy in a scrap. Yes, he can wield a cane violently. Mm-hmm. Um, we get some shots of the Corinthian looking at. Well, we it's from his perspective. He's looking at bloody eyeballs. Mm-hmm. He's been invited to some sort of get together, and so he's going to attend. Yeah, um, and that's all that we know about he. he Cut out some people's eyeballs. Yeah. He seems still, like a bad still guy. Still murdering people, yeah. Yeah. Um, they set off on the road. Morpheus is going to go after them. He uh, There's this very cool page where he dons his mask and has his big fiery cape. Mm-hmm. And he says, and it's my move. And he just yeah, looks so very, cool. Very dramatic. And um, issue endy <laughs> yes it seems like there would be a fun needle drop there if you know if you were just building an episode around that one mm-hmm. panel you could get yeah. away with a good needle drop mm-hmm. um the next issue this is part three is we get introduced to hector hall andrew mm-hmm. aka the sandman yeah um no he's a dorky looking superhero <laughs> yeah and his wife hippolyta or Lyta who seems trapped in his giant house of TVs. Mm-hmm. And, and she's been pregnant. There. She's been six months pregnant for the last two years. Yeah, it seems kind of confusing for her. Yeah, there's like a weird, a weird dreamy thing going on. This, again, seems to be partly Gaiman working the existing Sandman continuity into this new Sandman, which we he also had, had uh, included a brief reference to the original like 40s character that we talked about last time. Now he's incorporating the campy 70s version and also, I think, ripping on it a little bit. Oh, because yeah. Brute, Brute and Glob are like, man, this guy is so much stupider than the last guy. And that is saying something. <laughs> yes. The last guy was pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah. It's later in the volume. They they talk about like when they're like explaining to Morpheus what they were doing or something like that, where they talk about the other people that they got to do this first. And it's, Mm -hmm. it it is, yeah, that does seem to be Gaiman just name checking the previous people to have been this character. Yeah. Um, Which is fun. It's a good way to fold it in. mm -hmm. And it is less, um, in terms of like bringing in the wider DC continuity, it's less jarring than, having Batman standing there in a panel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um and the the dream dimension is a thing from that continuity um but it is like this is a fun like it's a zoom out and like that is just a limited thing that they are doing to this boy. Mm-hmm. It is not a thing that is the entirety of what the Sandman can do. Mm-hmm. Um but Lyta doesn't really understand what's going on. She's trapped in a dream state as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a little bit more of these deadbeats who are keeping him prisoner. Uh, and then Morpheus shows up in Rex's house and just 
you know, messes everybody up here. Yeah, he wrecks their little dream bubble. He like blows the door off the off its hinges. Uh, he banishes Hector Hall, but it was like banishes him. Hector Hall had died, I guess. He had, he had I don't already know about died. The, yes, I don't know enough about the continuity to to know this, but like he had died, and they like kept him in their little dream bubble to make him be the Sandman. But uh, Morpheus is like, "Hey, you're dead. You gotta go." And yep. so he goes. And then Lida's like, you killed my husband. And Dream's like, well, technically I didn't. But if you want to see it that way, then sure, I guess. Yeah. And he's like, hey, you're going to keep living and also like take care of that kid that you're going to have. Yeah. Does that come uh, back later? Because it's it's mine and I'm going to come for it. D- he says. That is what he says. That is what he says. I'll be interested to know what that means. Take good care of it. One day I will come for it. Okay. And does he just like zap? This is a little bit later. Does he just like zap brute and glob? Uh, yeah, he puts them in the the darkness, and mm. he says that they will find the. Uh, they. I doubt that either of you will enjoy the next few thousand years very much. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, just in case we need to bring brute and glob back for some more like crossovers or cool like standalone adventures, they're not <laughs> dead. They're just in the darkness. Um, moving some other chess pieces. Uh, Gilbert and Rose have checked into a hotel where there's going to be some sort of cereal convention. Uh huh. Just, just saying cereal? that cereal convention. Yeah, just like breakfast cereal. Um, and the Corinthian is like killing people in a street on his way to whatever get together he's supposed to go to. Uh, and I th- well, there's one. Um, and yeah, so he's doing that, and then the, this issue ends. With Jed having yes. escaped the blown up yes. house, that's what I was, yeah. and getting into the car with the Corinthian, yeah, which you know, just hitchhiking with a guy with eyeball teeth, yeah, and then we get to this really interesting, different issue in the middle mm-hmm. of this book mm-hmm. called "Men of Good Fortune." Mm-hmm. What's what? What's your take on this? Just top level, Andrew. What's your take on this? Where? I mean, I, I think it is a, so the thing about Doll's House, like the collection up to this point is you, like you got more dream in the, in the last issue than you got in the first couple of them. But after, you know, the first, the preludes and nocturnes stuff, it is really focused on other characters more than it is focused on, on dream. Sure. So you get, I think it is a palate cleanser in the sense that, Morpheus is a little more centered again. It's like a different, just a different story, different tone than the, uh, than the previous books. And also it is a, a tiny little glimpse at a version of Morpheus that is not like a wrathful elder God, which is a mode that we've seen him in a lot. It's like, he's either like brooding in the dreaming or he's going to go whoop somebody who has wronged him yeah. or taken or taken something of his, so- uh, The premise of this is back in the 14th century, Mm -hmm. uh, Dream and Death are hanging out in a bar. Yeah. And some guy named, what's his name? Hob Hob Gadling. Hob Gadling. Gadling. Mm -hmm. um, Is talking about how the only reason that people die is because that's what they're used to. Yeah. If they wanted to, they could just not die. 
Yeah. To habit. Mm-hmm. And uh, death is like, well, that's kind of interesting. Uh, and they basically are just like, well, what if he didn't die? Let's yeah. find out. Mm-hmm. So Dream... Dream is the one who gives him the power to be alive forever. I, there's right? some debate it's, about this. I think Death did. Okay. Because Death said... There's that... Um, are there page numbers in this? There's there this panel not. where there were dreams like oh it might be interesting and death's like very well and then she's like are you gonna tell him or am i gonna tell him? oh okay okay yeah so i th- i think it is death who has decided not to take this guy and i swear i didn't because i've said i've maintained for a long time that i'm never gonna get old never gonna die yeah always gonna be cool i know this um, about you yeah and i don't think i took it from this <laughs> but now i do worry that i did because that's basically what hob gadling says is like i'm always gonna i'm i'm gonna go around i'm gonna make a bunch of money i'm gonna sleep with a bunch of people and i'm always gonna be young and i'm never gonna die yeah and this is the secret it is the secret yeah and it's also what it's that's it's what it's like to be the cullens (laughs) i think the secret is one of the endless that we had we we made later (laughs) um so yeah hob is just gonna be here and and dream is like hey i'm gonna come find you we're gonna hang out and you know have a few brewskis every century mm-hmm. and we're just gonna talk about how it's going yeah we'll be back in 100 years and the first few hundred seem like it's going okay for him right mm-hmm. yeah he's making money mm-hmm. he's he met a lady he met a lady son yeah um and every time you're like you can feel dream being like all right well I'm sure this will never get old or sad for you. Yeah, bud. he's like, "Hey, are you ready to die yet?" And Hobgadden's like, "No, never. Nope. This is this rules. Nope, it's awesome." Um, and there's one where they're in a bar and they overhear William Shakespeare talking. Yeah, what'd you think about this? I like it. You like it? I like it. That dream. Ga- so is that crappy play that Shakespeare was? reciting was that actually his first play um which it's, one um what is he reciting uh hung be the heavens with black yield day to night comets importing change of times and states brandish your crystal tresses in the sky and with them scourge the bad revolting stars at least it scans but bad revolting stars and then shakespeare says it's my first play <laughs> and then the other guy says and it should be your last it's king, it is the first part of king henry the sixth huh okay um i'm trying to find out if that is one of his first plays. I, I would assume that Gaiman wouldn't put that in here if it, if it wasn't. Like, he wouldn't go to the trouble of quoting an actual play without... It is definitely making. regarded as one of the weakest of Shakespeare's plays. Mm-hmm. So, there uh, you Because so that was before he made his deal with Lord Morpheus. Yes, yes. Where Morpheus like, hey, you want to write cool plays? And William Shakespeare's like, yes, of course I do. And Dream's like, all right, let's chat. I and mean, that I like that. I like that because yeah. it still supports the one author theory, mm-hmm. and it does also imply that like some of it is because he's get like it's because he's getting you know supernatural magical supernatural yes. inspiration, which is fine. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. fine. Um, and yeah, it is one of his earliest potential plays ever. Um, and. But that's just kind of like a little fun side note. Um, but Hob is having a good time. Yeah, he's doing great. A hundred years later, he's not having a good time. Yeah. He's all messed up. 
he's uh, his lady died, and then his son died also. Yeah, son died, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not doing well, yeah. but he doesn't. He says death is a mugs game. I got so much to live for. Yeah, not ready to die yet. The way Dream is dressed in all of these, does <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, because his the the fashion keeps evolving. It's more of his like reflecting the the society the times, that he's yeah. serving. Yeah. The next one is when um, Lady Constantine is there, and like, yeah, she has been tracking this meeting between mm-hmm. what she thinks is the devil and the the wandering Jew, which is this uh-huh. long myth of a of a man who's you know cursed to walk the earth. I think because of him spitting at Jesus or something. I don't remember uh-huh. this the story sure. specifically. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um it had to do with the crucifixion and, and things like that. Um uh-huh. it's a weird story. Um <laughs> and this like Lady Constantine is trying to find out more and more if he's like, No you don't sand and then everybody Bye. falls asleep. Yeah. Um she's he makes her see ghosts, which is kind of mean, but whatever. Uh-huh. Uh but then later they become friends, apparently. Or at least they have a working professional yes, relationship. That's yeah. true. Um is this also so in the next one, he has become a slave trader. Like he has entered the slave trade. Yes. Which Dream is like, you gotta stop, man. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh well this is so this the Constantine one and the slave trade one are the same one. Oh, that's, are they? that's the eighteen hundreds, I think. Or is it just or the seventeen hundreds, to... yeah. Okay. Because yeah, um, each the each year is like whenever the comic was taking place, so it would have been like mid to late eighties. So this is like seventeen eighty something. Sure. Yeah. Um, oh yes, because then the next one is when he's like, "Oh, you were right about the slave trade. I shouldn't have been doing that." Yeah. Um, and and then, that yeah, because this one is like Dickensian looking. Yes. Yes. Ones. Yeah. And that is when um, Hob is also like, "Hey, I've met a few other people who don't." die mm-hmm. include and i think that's a, also including the constantine lady so like that's just a thing that's out there in the world yeah. to think about mm-hmm. and we had like mad hetty i think we had met before in the diner yes yes thing like she was outside and somebody said she was 200 and something years old and Ooh, now we've just okay. got like the world's being constructed a couple of bricks at a time here. okay okay um and then hob oversteps his bound because he accuses Dream of needing a friend, which is why <laughs> this happens. Mm-hmm. Um, Dream gets really mad, stomps out, and then the last page is, you know, a scene from a Pacino movie in the 80s. Uh, and he's there waiting for Dream, and Dream shows up in, yes. ni- in the 1980s, excuse in me. In the 1980s, because Hob looks like a coked out Wall Street guy. Yeah. Dream, I don't even know how to describe I don't Dream's know. look. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot of feather, like little Billy, Billy Idol, I guess. Yeah, I maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, you're right. It's this kind of like slice of endless life of, I made a friend. It took me six centuries to admit that it was a friend, yeah. mm-hmm. but that's kind what like I have. Par- like a party in the back a little bit too. Like it's just, yeah. it's just a lot of haircut. It's a lot of haircut. Um, The next one is the collectors, Andrew. Yeah. Oh boy, we're at the cereal convention, baby! Now all these all these people love cereal. The cereal—it's a pun because they're all cereal killers. 
I honestly okay. was waiting for that. I was like, what is the serial convention until I re- and then I was like, oh, okay, then you realize, Neil. Yeah, I okay, think it took Neil. Susanna a minute to get there, too. <laughs> but yeah, so so Rose and Gilbert are like their car broke down and they have come to this hotel like by seemingly by happenstance. And the guy is like, well, we have empty rooms because most people aren't going to be at the convention until tomorrow. But I really shouldn't let you stay here. But yeah. I'm going to let you stay here anyway. Yeah. So Rose and Gilbert are here at the serial killer convention, along with many serial killers. And they all have a weird thing. They, they all, all have a thing. I don't think we need to go into nope. all of it because some of it is gross. Some of it's bad. There are very. I mean, it's all gross. There's serial killers. But like some of it is more. Yeah. You know, yes. it's a spectrum. It is purposefully. <laughs> uh, um, there are people here who are tasteless. Their existence yeah. is tasteless. And you were supposed to perceive them that way. Yes. This isn't like a. That's not oh, a judgment. It was. It was, it was no. the '80s. Being a yeah, <laughs> it's just pe- taking people's skin off was cool. <laughs> but, but so then, the big thing here is that there's one guy, and I don't know if this ever comes back, Andrew. There's a guy called the Family Man who just doesn't show up. Uh huh. Is that a thing, or is that just like? It the, might be a thing. It's not. It's not ringing any bells. Okay. Immediately. The the. Head of the the organizer Nimrod, mm-hmm. um, he keeps talking about how the Family Man isn't there. Uh, the Corinthian is like Paul Blart style, going to give the keynote address, <laughs> even though he was like, not told ahead of time. You can't act like that's a commonly understood reference to the film Paul Blart Mall Cop Two, which we have each watched. At there least is twice. a preposterous beat in Paul Blart Mall Cop Two where he goes mm-hmm. to a convention and. There's a mystery uh, keynote speaker, and he thinks it could be him. Mm-hmm. That is not exactly what happens here, but it's what I've thought of. So. If I had to, yeah, like maybe the family man doesn't come because of the Corinthian so that the Corinthian can give this keynote address. And like maybe his- the family man doesn't come so that Rose and Rose and uh, Gilbert have a place to stay. So I'm not sure. I'm not yeah, because sure. there's the whole thing that later when we when we finally have a confrontation between the Corinthian and um, and Dream, it's that like he's inspired all of these awful people. Yeah. Like that's mm-hmm. a thing that Morpheus says about him at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether or not that is a thing that the Corinthian wanted, it is what happens. Um, there is like a little beat where somebody has tried to infiltrate this convention. And so three of them, including the Corinthian have to take out that guy and go, just mm-hmm. go kill him. I like that. The, the opening like speech at this thing is like, please, everybody don't serial kill anyone in this immediate area oh because yeah, we're trying to stay below the radar here. Well, and they have things like movie night mm-hmm. and a disco dance yeah it is very much a, a a weird fan con except all the people are fans of killing lots of other people there's a religion panel and a women in serial killing panel and <laughs> i'm sure they asked like the two women there to be on that it's very for silly. no money <laughs> um and while this is happening um the corinthian has jed in his trunk um, and one guy whose whole deal, I think, is killing people at Disney World does try to kill Rose. This is after there's an 
Oh, Andrew, this is the um, in the elevator. Uh huh. Gilbert sees the Corinthian and is like, "Uh oh!" and and then like just runs away. He does a full like collar like oh he does collar like, pulling thing, covering his face with his hat, mm-hmm. and he gives Rose a piece of paper. He's like, "Hey, if things ever get real bad, just like call this guy." And we don't know what it says on the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he just leaves, which I didn't really know what to do with. Uh huh. I thought it was because he was going to wind up being another serial man, but that never happened. Mm-hmm. That would have been sad. That would have been sad. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Um, but so when the Mickey Mouse guy is trying to kill her, she summons Morpheus, not really knowing what's going on, mm-hmm. and he I, he doesn't ki- he doesn't kill that guy, does he? No, Morpheus's thing is rarely to to kill somebody. You usually. Like torture them in their dreams in some way until they can't stand it anymore. Yeah, that's I, how you usually do it. I think that one, it's like he puts a bunch of kids in his dream and like makes him apologize to all of them, and then he kind of attacks the whole convention mm-hmm. <laughs> and unmakes the Corinthian, which is a fun thing he can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Get some good, like good panels of the Corinthian with his teeth eyes. That which is, is a, which awful. is an image that sticks with you, yeah. And uh, honestly, some about mouths where mouths aren't supposed to be mm-hmm. really, real like Gaiman really enjoys that. Mm-mm. No thanks. <laughs> um, and so he he talks about how like the Corinthian was there to scare humanity about the worst in itself, mm-hmm. and the Corinthian's like, nah, it's pretty cool to be a human. And feel what it's like to eat people's eyes. Yeah. That's actually what I prefer. Yeah. And Dream's like, Ugh, I really messed up with this one. All yep. Right. Yep. Um, you're gone. And then he like... The next time I make you, you shall not be so flawed and petty, little Dream. So he picks up a little... like The Corinthian melts into a little uh, like skull. Like a sugar skull candied thing. And Dream picks him up and puts him in his pocket. Um, and then he yells at all the serial killers and tells them, "Get out of here, go home." Yeah, he. I like the you language, and you can also you can't dream anymore. Yeah, read the language. I like the language here. He says, "And you, you that call yourselves collectors, until now you have all sustained fantasies in which you are the maltreated heroes of your own stories." That quote rules. Comforting daydreams in which ultimately you are shown to be in the right. No more for all of you. The dream is over. I have taken it away. For this is my judgment on you, that you shall know at all times and forever exactly what you are, and you shall know just how little that means. Now leave. And then, like, any more we see of them is them in, like, a real awful sense of self-loathing and self-doubt and none of the righteousness we've seen in any of the other scenes of them. That, like, the types of things that people who are that awful tell themselves to justify Mm -hmm. what they're doing. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and then, oh yeah, Gilbert comes back. He's found Jed and rescued yeah. him. He seems very sad. He does seem very sad. Yeah, he's, he's, he knows that there are going to be, or he seems he seems to think there are going to be some consequences to Rose having called Morpheus to that location. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then this last section is her trying to dream Rose, that is, back in the... In the like boarding the wacky house, shack. Yeah. yeah, the wacky shack, and all of the dreams of the other characters are running together. Mm-hmm. 
because she is a dream vortex. Yeah. Um, I and like that's how what each, she does. That's what a dream vortex is. Each dream has like a different visual identity, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the text is is like all over the place and doing different stuff and kind of reflecting everybody's innermost desires or hang-ups or, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of kind of standard like this is what dreams are kind of stuff mm-hmm. but laid out with some visual inventiveness um i do like and this is something i noticed from the first volume too i do like a lot when they incorporate art of you know real people mm-hmm. into the like when hal is dreaming about uh betty judy and Marilyn. Yeah. And there's like art that represents them or there's, mm-hmm. you know, art from, uh, you know, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz or whatever it is like mm-hmm. that. That stuff is really fun. Yeah. Um, but then. Yeah, I think it's like the one of the most distinctive things about this. This book, like the, the entirety of Sandman is the way that it uses. Like <laughs> it, it uses different art styles to to make you realize that you're looking at different things or hearing different characters speak like it uses the the medium really effectively in that way like i i reread watchmen recently and it is it does a little tiny bit of that but not nearly as as much like it, it feels much more like you're looking at one like visually cohesive thing the whole time yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, well like and this is like ken's dreams look like weird ransom notes and Barbie's dreams look like a fantasy comic mm-hmm. with like weird shaggy monsters and like mm-hmm. fancy fonts and stuff. Um, but this is building towards Rose messing up everyone's dreams. Yeah. And it gets to probably my favorite art in the book, which is the page where she is the vortex and the different art styles are like combining in a couple different squares and then morpheus is upside down for some reason uh-huh. it's like a big two-page spread mm-hmm. which is really fun um and then we get this like i don't know he has to kind of like info dump on her that he's going to kill her and why in a yeah, way that really yeah, sucks yeah because yeah, it's it's not super graceful like she, but but she has she's been doing all this stuff but she's been uh, like aware of Morpheus and like the dreaming and all this other stuff. Like she's, she's only been aware of this in a really like ancillary way. Yeah. And so you need to explain like, we know it all mostly Yep. as the reader, but you need to explain it to her. And also I guess like tie it all back together. It's, it's a strange, it's a strange thing. Well, and like Matthew goes off and tells Gilbert, he's like, Hey, uh, Morpheus is going to kill her. And Gilbert's like, I don't, I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Um, he tries to take her place, and this is like Morpheus, like every era. He's not, he's not more specific than that. He just says every era. Yeah, every era. There's a vortex. I have to kill them. It's my job. And otherwise, reality breaks. You know? Does he mm-hmm. say like this happened once before, and like that whole like existence is gone? He says something to that effect of like... Yeah, something like that. Well, I can't let this happen again kind of thing. Um, Gilbert shows up. He's like, hey, take me instead. And Morpheus is like, that's not how it works. He's like, okay, cool. I'll be Fiddler's Green again. Pow! And all the plants show back up. Yeah, because he was like, I guess, unlike Brute and Glob, 
or the Corinthian, he was just kind of on Rumspringa, I guess. Yeah. Like, from the dream. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like a sweet guy who likes he to just wanted to. He things. wanted to see what it was like to be human, but not to like kill people. So yeah. he gets a pass. Yeah, he does. Uh, and then, no, Morpheus is going to kill her. And what happens? Unique and Cade goes back to sleep. Mm-hmm. Falls into the dream world. Jackson in the Matrix. Mm-hmm. And she shows up. And she's like, hey, listen, it was supposed to be me. Yeah. And like, what? It, at that point, uh, Ro- she has Rose like rip out her heart and give it to her. Yeah. Like it's a Zelda heart. Yeah, it is. It's like a heart a, container, basically. Yes. Um, and so Morpheus is like, okay, well, I can kill you then. Um, and that's how that works. Mm-hmm. Rose wakes up, and then we get this, like, Rose meditating on how stories work, like, and then she woke up. She kind of talks about how she doesn't like how stories end that way, but Mm -hmm. maybe this time it's okay because she's with her mom and her brother again. Um, She's, like, cutting her hair and changing her life and and trying to move forward with who she is now. Yeah. Which seems nice. Very happy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. It's like optimistic in its way. I yes, guess. yes, um, uh, and it doesn't like it doesn't to me read as that's the end of that character. Mm-hmm. Though maybe it is. I have no idea. Yeah, um, who, knows? who knows, Andrew? Who on this call knows? Who knows? Uh, but then Don't we finally surprised. get back to Desire, and this was like I had this moment. I was like, oh yeah, that person who was in this yeah. book a while ago. Because mm-hmm. I, I think my read on this happened over. Two or three days that were not right next to each other. Yeah. So when Desire showed back up, I was like, oh, right. Oh, yeah. That mm. thing I was confused by before. Yeah. This is complicated. Mm-hmm. Even if it's it, in the confession is straightforward. But the like the very short version of it is that Desire was messing with Dream. While Dream was locked up. While Dream was locked up. And so Desire impregnated Unity Kincaid. Yes. Correct? And w- yes. Um, so that and, so that Dream would have to break the one rule or whatever. Yeah, which is like the Endless can't like kill each other basically or or the or each other's like offspring yes as as it may as it may be. So, so Rose um, and her mom are technically part Endless. Yeah. And Desire was trying to set Dream up to kill one of them and trigger some kind of horrific event. Who knows what would happen? And Dream, like, barely, kind of by accident, avoided doing it. Yep. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so all Dream knows is that um, that Desire made a big gamble mm-hmm. um, and doesn't really know why. But, Yeah. That yeah. seems like it's going to be important. Yeah, I mean, who can say? Who can say what's foreshadowing and what's just, you know, what's just there for no reason? Hmm. hmm. Oh, that's an unpleasant noise. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Doll's house. Yeah. Would you? You're the you're the new boy. What you What do you think about it and how it hung together as a whole thing? Um, I think what is interesting about running up to a conclusion that turns on this, like, specific rule 
mm-hmm. or like uh, two of them where it's like, oh, there's a vortex, I have to kill it, and oh no, it was almost a trick based on this thing you're not allowed to do. Yeah, it is interesting to to encounter such a hard and fast rule in the context of a being that has a lot of timey wimey powers. That's like yes. anything can happen. I'm traveling through dreams. What does that even mean, man? I don't know. I'm a I'm in a dog. I'm I'm <laughs> the wind. I'm your nightmares. And at least like the the first volume set us up to know that when stuff goes bad in dreamland stuff is going bad in real life yeah and so the the thing with the vortex like no we didn't know what a vortex was before this but we at least know that bad stuff happens when you mess with the dreaming yeah and this I'm, is this is a thing that is going to mess with the dream it's not a criticism it's i'm honestly kind of impressed that it works in the sense that it is this world in which the powers and the things that can happen to people uh it is better for them being kind of fuzzy and whatever the story needs to happen Uh uh-huh you know like there's not a conventional limitation on what exactly morpheus can do except that it is dream related but if you're not if you're not careful about that it becomes like the last harry potter books where everybody is just like inventing yes or discovering new magic specifically to get themselves out of plot corners exactly it can feel really uh not thought through and and yeah so it's fun i think what probably makes it work is the like cast of supporting characters as you've said that this is like save for the uh the every hundred years drinks like dream is just kind of bopping around in the background Mm -hmm. for a lot of it Mm -hmm. and the fact that those individual stories hang pretty well allows the kind of purposeful mushiness of the world to like hang together because sure. it's because it's still grounded in these like people on Earth who are going to be you know tortured by all these endless beings mm-hmm. for whatever reason who mm-hmm. knows. <laughs> um, so yeah, so my my thoughts on looking ahead. Dream siblings are going to be a problem. Uh huh. We haven't met dis- we we haven't met destiny yet. We've met no. despair. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's going to happen when destiny shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet Rose shows back up. Maybe. It's my guess. Mm-hmm. And I'm just intrigued by the the other people who exist who may have made deals with Endless. Just like other... Like Shakespeare and Hobgabbling. And, yeah, and, yeah. What, the other Hobgabblies. Gadlies. <laughs> Gadling. Hobgoblins of the world <laughs> who have been touched by the Endless in some way. Mm-hmm. Um it, nothing to say of the of like the various dc cameos that are always kind of fun um what was this like on reread for you it was fun it's like the the biggest thing with with rereading this series even because even though i read it pretty recently i like i remember all of it but you start to forget where bits and pieces of it fall like where mm. where they fall like specifically in the the flow of the story and like the continuity of the story and so on a reread it is like yeah i remember hob gadling because you do encounter him a couple other times yeah and i you know i couldn't have told you which book that we originally met him in and i probably wouldn't have said it was in this one because otherwise this one is just doing one thing mostly yeah um 
So it makes you think and, and, you know, allowing for the fact that some of these volumes collect issues a little bit out of order, but like it, it makes you think about why that issue was placed exactly where it was and what mm. it's supposed to, mm. what it's supposed to do. And so I think in, in this, in this instance, it is both giving you a little breathing room as a reader, but also showing you a little something different about dream than you've seen this whole time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I buy yeah. that. So that's, it's been, that's an interesting thing to sort of think about on a, a revisit is why is stuff put together the way that it is. Yeah. And, and even the, like when it's a focused issue, here are one or two pages on the other characters that we're tracking. Mm hmm to like move those along kind of the inverse of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, next time we're talking about dream country. Question mark. I feel like we've been in dream country the whole time. Is yeah. What, but is my this, question this time. Mark. Yeah. Dream country. Dream, country. dream country, baby. Okay. Um, <laughs> if, and this, this is one of the ones where each story is going to be its own standalone thing within the, within the volume. Yeah. Oh, neat. Okay. Yeah. And well, not that it doesn't like also yeah, tie yeah, into yeah. the rest of the story, but it's not going to be one arc like Doll's House was or like Preludes and Nocturnes was. Okay, then. We'll buckle yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is our closing that will go out on the main feed. So if you have thoughts that you want to send to us, overduepod at gmail.com, overduepod on social media. Uh, if you want to tell us about your dreams. Yeah. I don't know what else you want to talk to us about, but relevant to this series, tell us about your dreams. <laughs> um, OverduePodcast.com is our website. Patreon.com slash OverduePod. Uh, donate money to us to support the show, support what we're doing, pay for hosting, pay for uh, lavish box sets of of famous graphic novels. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, get access to these episodes a little bit early. And you can come hang out in our Discord server and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, other stuff up on that website. Books that we have read and ones that we're going to read. Click those. You go to bookshop.org. You buy a book. You get a book. We get a cut of that as well. And your local independent bookseller gets a sale. So everybody wins. It's true. And I think that's it. That's it. Andrew, you know what they say at the end of every episode of Sand By Me. Sweet dreams. <laughs>